welcome, welcome, welcome to Bard's Backlog, episode number 20. 20 whole episodes here for our podcast. Of course, I am your host, Josh Gallegos, joined, as always, by my co-host, Jared the Casual. Jared is running from work, just got off, and he is dealing with some technical difficulties. I am as well. We've both had some changes going into this week. Jared's got the new mic. I just moved, so I couldn't find a piece for my mic. (laughs) So bear with us. Apparently, this is going to be a bit of a struggle, and it's a late-night conversation, but we're going to keep up the energy, and we're going to have a good conversation this week. Uh, But Jared... Glad to talk to you, my friend. Yes, sir. Um, the casual does extend from gaming into my audio recording skills, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do appreciate your flexibility, Josh. Yeah, for sure. How have things been? Uh, have we talked since our last episode? It's been a while. No, not no, not really. And and unsurprisingly, too, just because uh, things are you know as busy as as we make them. But you are also finishing up school. Uh, I am. Uh, finishing up school as well uh and then right. i started another class less than a week ago um so i am busy 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 but also too my car just straight up broke down uh right. and was gonna cost twenty two hundred dollars to fix i only had half of that in savings uh got the dave ramsey savings thing going on you know and uh i only had half of that so i i fixed part of it but the rest still needs to be fixed so um it's sitting there, and I had to get a job within walking distance. So now I, uh, I that's what I had to do. So it's been crazy. I've been, uh, and then of course with a new job, you always want to impress the boss. So I picked up a ton of shifts. So it's been nothing but for me, nothing but work, Dark Souls, sleep. <laughs> that's that's been it. So <laughs> sounds like you're a glutton for punishment this last month. Ah. Uh, there's so much to talk about. We'll get to it for sure. <laughs> um, of course, this is a video game podcast. Bard's Backlog is an ever-growing catalog of games inducted into our hall of games. We, Jared and I, are the gatekeepers and subsequent executioners of any video game candidate, including today's, which of course has been spoiled, is Dark Souls. Excited about that. Also another reason why we haven't recorded in a while. Um Jared and I are both kind of uh, struggle buses, I guess, when it comes to Dark Souls. And I know this has revealed to me, and we'll talk about it, how how bad of a gamer I am. (laughs) Um, But we'll get to that. Of course, you can write in. Our email is askvgb at gmail.com. Ask us questions, comment on previous games that we discussed, and uh, give us pitches for any sort of segment. Of course, the default segment is rotating, so we would love ideas for that. You can support the podcast by giving our social media posts a like, following us there or on your podcast service of choice, and by dropping a review for us on Apple Podcasts. You know what? Just Don't just do five stars. Let's drop six stars. You know, just get, be a little a, a giver as we get into the summer here on Apple Podcasts. Of course, that certainly helps. Check out the Red Pixel podcast as well. That is a podcast I do with my wife, and we are going to be returning this week with new upload dates uh friday mornings are going to be what we aim for every week for that i am excited to get back into it um i mean we talked about it briefly but man jared this last month has been crazy uh finishing up my first year teaching 
which was so bittersweet, but at the same time, so relieving. <laughs> I was so excited to be done. But at the same time, I was, I was kind of sad. And like, it was it was weird in the last little moment that I had with my class. I We only had 20 minutes and we just went over their test, their final, basically. And then all of a sudden it was over. And I was like, okay, you guys, you know, have a good summer. And they were like, whoa, wait, are we going to see you again? And thankfully I'm going to be working there. So I, I, I let them know like, yeah, I'll, I'll be there next year. You know, I'll be in a full-time capacity. So you'll see more of me. And they were like very excited about that, which was encouraging, but it was, it was bittersweet for sure. And it kind of like hit out of nowhere. And then all of a sudden it was over, but I have been thoroughly enjoying it. <laughs> but nonetheless, because of that, because of wrapping up classes, because of mine and Karina's move, we moved out of the school housing and now we're actually in an apartment close to downtown. I'm literally two blocks away from the farmer's market that pops up uh, on the weekends here. So we haven't gotten to explore the city and and indulge in it yet but that is the goal right now we've just been focused on unpacking but it's been a busy time so we're excited to jump back into red pixel this week that's news focused and uh, you can certainly be looking out for that last time on bars backlog we talked about undertale and Go back and listen to that episode. It was a super fun conversation. Undertale is such a good game. And we're, we were happy to be able to discuss it and honor it by putting it in the Hall of Games. Of course, it did indeed go in. Spoilers for that. Uh, but before we jump into the bulk of the podcast, before we get into the actual video game stuff here, Jared, I have a quick question for you. I have been thinking a lot about meals, about dieting, about nutrition sustenance and i was just curious <laughs> what is a meal that you absolutely love that you're ashamed of some may call that it I'm ashamed a guilty of. pleasure you know with all of this is gonna be a lame answer but i'll start with this um while my brain thinks the, the anytime i eat a bowl of cinnamon toast crunch. I loathe myself afterwards. <laughs> cinnamon toast crunch. Wow. <laughs> the stuff that we ate as children is so loaded with sugar. <laughs> uh, crazy. You know, no wonder we have problems. Um, <laughs> mental and otherwise. Uh, so, you know, anytime I have a bowl of cereal, I just hate myself. But it's such it's such good stuff. Um, a meal that I hate. You know, to be honest with you, there's there's not a ton. I guess ramen makes makes me hate myself as well. Uh, although that's a guilty pleasure, and uh, pizza makes me hate myself, especially DiGiorno pizza from the store. Mm. Oh my goodness, I'm ashamed and embarrassed to admit that I even eat it. I know what you mean. Um, yeah, and but I mean those are the first things that come to my mind, really. But uh, yeah, yeah. Why do you ask? I was just curious if there was some like deep secret, like if if you like on every Thursday went and got the chicken nugget kid cuisine or something. Yeah. Um, okay. So, okay. <laughs> store. So, so let me ask you a question. What fast food chain would be your favorite? Assuming that every visit that you went to, it was perfect every single time. And by that, I mean like a perfect big Mac or a perfect baconator or a perfect, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like a Let's assume that they got it right. What would be your favorite fast food restaurant? And like it was like good ingredients, or at least the best that they have. No, let's just assume like best customer service, and okay, that like when they 
Yeah, when they when it like yeah, let's just assume best customer service and it's on time and it's hot and ready. What do you think? Man, I guess I have to say McDonald's. See, see, that's the thing because we have all been to such trashy McDonald's, right? Right. That um, we're like, ju- we just don't expect much. But if you've ever been to a good McDonald's, right. dude. Dude, a double quarter pounder with cheese slaps. Let's just <laughs> You're not, not even. That's what I'm saying. So, like, that was my guilty pleasure. I'm not even kidding you. When I worked back when I had my car was working, I was a delivery driver, and I would pop into the McDonald's way too often because that was the best McDonald's I had ever been to. They just nailed it every time. Yeah. Peak lunch rush, you'd get your food in Chick Fil A time. They just nailed it. Yeah, they were so fast, so good. Uh, and that was my guilty pleasure, unfortunately. And I, uh, definitely saw the poundage gained from there, (laughs) but like, dude, McDonald's when it's on point is on point, my guy. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And that was part of my thought process. Like there's like, exactly. You could say like fast food has like a three pronged, you know, uh, three pronged qualities that they can go for. It's like cheap food good tasting food and then like quality of service i mean you could probably Mm -hmm. interchange a couple of those but like it's almost like most places choose two out of the three you know like chick-fil-a is good food with quality service but it's not gonna be cheap and then mcdonald's typically is cheap food with that tastes good obviously it's not good for you but like usually like those fries are killer and yeah, just every so often you just have a craving for a cheeseburger or like a hot and spicy, but the service is terrible. So like if at least in a normal setting, so if you could bump that up to Chick-fil-A levels, then it'd be a trifecta, bro. And that, that's what that, I'm telling that's you. That's kind of my, yeah, that's my, that was my thought process with picking it. So I, I totally You're agree exa- with yeah. you. And I, there's like, I have distinct memories of like, man, that was a good McDonald's. Like the guy in the, drive through was friendly he was like yep. I, I remember distinctly yep. there was one down the road it was like not the first mcdonald's we came across back home but the second one so it was like five more minutes of a drive but it was always worth it because the manager there or something was just great at picking employees and they were all cheery and every time they got our order right and it was always mostly fresh right and they tried to compensate for us they didn't try to force us to do an extra charge for sauce and whatnot so um i i I would yeah i would say mcdonald's for sure and talking about guilty pleasures i was gonna say mcdonald's nuggets as a guilty pleasure were you really (laughs) yeah (laughs) there you go yeah i used to get like the 20 count and just engorge myself oh dude um i even there was one there was one time my brother and I got the 40 count when it was like discounted. It was like, I think it was like five bucks for a 20 count and then six bucks for a 40 count, which just goes <laughs> to show how terrible that food is. Um, but I was eating my 20 and my brother Gabe was eating his 20 and like mine just like I was eating so much and I couldn't figure out why they kept like being more like i just seemed like so much food and then come to find out later my brother had been slipping some of his nuggets into my box while we were chatting and so i ate like 30 32 nuggets oh or something my like goodness. That. <laughs> and i was so sick the next day like oh absolutely awful but you know the next time i went in i, I got those nuggets <laughs> it's a guilty oh pleasure oh my goodness for sure 
but <laughs> good, good conversation. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, any sort of process thing, really. It makes you just feel terrible once you're done with it. Um, that almost goes without saying, though, you know? Like, I always feel so refreshed after, like, solid like meat and like a veggie and maybe like some rice and I eat that. Like mm-hmm. you just feel wholesome. Yeah. Uh, the, the happiest I have ever been in my life was when I was eating one meal a day, I would wake up in the morning, drink plenty of water throughout the day. Uh, but I would shoot some water and I would, uh, just have a cup of black coffee and that was it. I would just drink coffee and I, I wasn't hung. Once you get into the rhythm of any habit, you start, you know, you can get some momentum going, but I was, you know, uh, mostly carnivore too. I would have two ribeye steaks for dinner typically, uh, maybe a sweet potato, not super heavy on carbs, but like, yeah, absolutely. The happiest I've ever been was one meal a day. Yeah. What? Well, just curious because I am, and we talked about this, but not on the podcast. I've, I just started intermittent fasting last week, last Monday. So going into tomorrow, it'll be a full week. Um, what coffee do you use? Or did you use during that time to get like, a, a good question. black um, cup of coffee? Yeah, for me, anything with hazelnut typically goes down pretty smooth, like a hazelnut coffee, just because you can taste a slight difference, uh, a little bit. It's like nutty. It's got a nutty bitterness to it. Sure. But Black Rifle Coffee Company has some of the best coffee I've ever tasted. Hmm. You can get it at a Cabela's or Bass Pro Shops. Uh that's the only place I've seen it. I haven't seen it in any supermarkets, although maybe I just have missed it. But like Black Rifle Coffee Company has excellent coffee. It's it's very good. So interesting. Uh, highly recommend their their coffee. Yeah, because like a Folgers, like I just can't do it. Like or like I got Publix brand coffee. Oh, that was a bad mistake, bro. Yeah. Okay, so that's a good rule of thumb. I don't I don't buy off brand coffee. I buy Starbucks or. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> Or, or I don't really care for Dunkin'. But, like, if the brand looks fancy, you know, <laughs> it's probably fine. <laughs> yeah. No, I understand that. Anyway, good tips. Intermittent fasting. Pretty good. I- I've been enjoying it. And this week I'm incorporating some exercise. So uh, just got some coconut water for electrolytes. Trying to stay away from, like, high sugar stuff. That one still has a yep. decent amount of sugar. But it's it's got a lot of electrolytes. So gonna be incorporating that into the intermittent fasting and there's it's just so pure like i really appreciate that about it it just feels like a very straightforward like one meal you got water and coffee and you're good and you wait and you have those base desires that are difficult every now and then but you'll push past it you know if you just put your mind it also gets you out of the the carb slump that you hit post lunch typically yeah because yep for me at least like uh, I've never been able to return to that. Anytime I have carbs in the middle of the day before dinner, I just crash. I cannot help it. I, I will crash. Uh, my pancreas just got used to not needing to produce that much insulin. So like I introduced it and then it just, it just wrecks me. The post, the post carb. Oh dude. So done. So the one meal a day helps you avoid that for sure. Cause you can crash after dinner. It's no big deal. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I totally understand. Yeah. It's weird how much energy, I've had, which is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Which has really yeah. helped with, uh, this last week pushing through dark souls. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Getting yes. back on topic a little bit with that. Uh, let's go ahead, Jared, and jump into our first segment. And of course we always talk about the games we play in. 
I'll get us kicked off with this. Um, I know you mentioned there hasn't been like any major games you've been uh, exploring, but there's a couple of games that I have just kind of dipped my toe into. Outriders is one, and then the other is SpongeBob SquarePants Battle for Bikini Bottom Rehydrated. <laughs> so let me talk to you about these for just a brief moment, Jared. Outriders was the first game I, I jumped into after beating Dark Souls over the weekend, and I like it. It's it's a cover shooter, and it's really fast-paced. It's by People Can Fly, which they're known for their shooters. Uh, it had a lot of hype when it came out. I'm, actually, I take that back. It, it had less hype than I was expecting, but just enough to pique my interest. There was a sale, so I grabbed it, and I've played probably two and a half hours of it. And I like it. It's fun. Um, I'll probably see the campaign through to the end. It's kind of built like a uh, Destiny, I guess you could think. Maybe okay. with some Borderlands-esque. It's third person, sure. so it's a little different from that. But like, it's kind of built for like grinding your gear and jumping into mm-hmm. other people's games. And it's a three-player co-op. So like, you're tackling enemy groups together. And of course, with each person that joins, it scales to that. And it's very fast. And so that's enjoyable. But otherwise, there's not a whole lot of appeal. Like Other than the tight gameplay, which is tight, it, and it, it feels good. Uh, the the narrative isn't like amazing it's slightly interesting but it's fine um and otherwise yeah nothing's been particularly drawing me to it i'll probably finish it at some point but i i've kind of started to veer away from it and we'll talk about that in just a second with my third option but first for my second option spongebob squarepants the only reason um <laughs> just talking about this game i'm 25 years old all right i just want to admit that right now but <laughs> i am playing spongebob squarepants and the reason that i actually even got this game was because i was so ticked at the four kings in dark souls <laughs> i dropped and again, we'll talk about this, but I dropped so many hours when I got to the Four Kings boss just trying to freaking beat them. And I got fed up. And one of the nights last week, I was just, I had been playing a couple hours and I was like, you know, I'm done. I need something to like clean my palate and just like not focus on something else. And SpongeBob was on sale. So I got it and I jumped into it and it was like exactly what I needed in that moment. Like, there you go. Yeah. There it was you go. so simple. It was so lighthearted and goofy. It was like the exact opposite of Dark Souls. And so I just played like one level and then and then bounced out. And I'll probably like use that as like a oh yeah, I've, I just kind of need a break. So I'll pick up this game and play from moment to moment. But uh, I am playing through SpongeBob. Uh, Jared, what games have you been playing recently? So I have uh, three things. One I, d- I didn't uh, write down, but I'll mention it. Um, so one is a Magic Survival. That's literally the title of the game. And the uh, studio that designs it is capital L-E-M-E, all caps. Um, Leamy, maybe? I don't know. Um, it's a fun, simple little game. Time Killer. Uh, it's actually more addicting than you might think. Uh, you'll sink some time into it. it. You run around avoiding enemies just with your thumb, uh, one thumb. And you pick up uh, items and you level up within the game. And... Uh, and then you—that's your run, right? It's funny uh, how I've been so attracted to roguelike games since Hades. Like those games, just that have a loop and a rhythm to them, have been really 
uh, attractive to me lately. And then the second one is Pirates Outlaws. That's the name of the game. Uh, I can't remember uh, the studio, but that is, is a card-based, like turn-based um, card game. Like uh, you, you play a card and it has a specific move on it. But that's also um, not roguelike per se, but like, you know, you, you gain certain cards as you play through the game. You have areas to clear, and it's actually a pretty good challenge. So you lay down cards, it does that move, and, and whatever else. So that one's fun too. And then the third thing that I've been playing is um, I've been playing the story mode on Smash Brothers because I'm in the hunt for a main. Oh. I've been playing Smash Brothers Ultimate a lot lately with a friend. We just play for hours at a time, just 1v1. It's so refreshing to find someone who likes 1v1 with no items. I'm sorry. I'm a bit of a purist. I don't <laughs> like it when you throw stupid items at me. I hate that. <laughs> um, I just think, I mean, it's fun for casual play, like with noobs and whatever, but like, when, I don't know, when you when you want to get good at excelling at a character's moveset and things, and they don't play that way in tournament style, not that I'm ever going to get that good, but it's refreshing to find someone who's like that. So I've been on the hunt for a main. Right now, I really like Pyra and Mithra from Xenoblade 2. Nice. Um, yeah, but we'll see. So those are the games that I've been playing. That's funny. Like, yeah, totally. Like, if you if you want to compete, if you're in it for the competition... Got to get rid of those items. Got to get rid of those stage hazards, and so on and yes. so forth. So, no, I <laughs> yes, totally unfortunately, I'm just not good enough to <laughs> to do it with them on. <laughs> so, what happened to Samus? Wasn't that your main, Jared? Samus is good. Uh, Samus is um, Samus is fun to play. I, I just was. It was my main for a while, but oh, like no, you I, switched I really to like, Captain Falcon was here. Yeah, last I try to get good at Cap. Yeah, I like I like to get I like Captain Falcon, but then I saw Pyramithra and I just liked the way that they flowed. I felt like they were they. My play style is very counter heavy. Like I I need to like I wait for you to attack and then I try to counter you. That's typically my play style, um, and I'm I like them. I like Pyramithra that combo. I like being able to switch between the two characters as well. So. Um, yeah, I like it. It's fun. Makes me want to play Xenoblade 2, even though apparently it's not as good as the first one. I think, yeah, I think that's more tied to, like, the story, specifically, from what I understand. And I've played a little bit of Xenoblade 2, but, um, from, again, I didn't finish it, but the first one just had, like, a good bonkers story, from what I understand. And the second one just doesn't reach those heights. That's interesting that you say that you're a counter, because you're the type of player that i hate in smash bros because i'm a very aggressive player (laughs) and so i just hate people who are who just like wait like my growing up playing brawl my brother gabe was a counter and i was aggressive and so we were like perfectly opposed and we would get under each other's skin so much uh so it's kind of funny that you've started to kind of move in that direction anyway side note um last game i'll mention here for the games that i'm playing dark souls 2 um i am definitely in a bit of a uh pattern of addiction right now with the souls games with souls born games whatever you want to call it souls like whatever um and i just i have never finished a dark souls game before until dark souls remastered which we're talking about today and so i just i've been on kind of a high and i'm like let's freaking go like let's play more and so i've put probably 10 hours or so into dark souls 2 and i i'm i'm gonna make no bones about it i'm i'm using a guide pretty much every step of the way uh 
and we'll talk about that maybe when we get maybe we'll see how we get what happens in the conversation sure. but i have touched and played every single from software game since dark souls so i haven't played demon souls although i do want to get that on the ps5 whenever i end up picking that console up but i've played one two three of dark souls and i've played bloodborne and i've played sekiro but i haven't finished any of them for a variety of reasons and two was the one that i bounced out of the quickest and i could not stand and it is such an infuriating game compared to the other ones. And so I just decided, you know what, if I'm going to do this, because my, my plan, my goal is over the summer to play through all of them and beat all of them. Like, see the credits roll, because I just never did for any of them. And so with two, I kind of am going in with, okay, what's the best path? Let me research everything. I want to know where all the items are that are crucial because I'm not going to go in freaking blind because I hated myself last time. And I've been enjoying it for the last 10 hours anyway. We'll see how it continues. But with a guide, it makes such a big difference. Um, our final segment for this podcast is going to be how Dark Souls has ruined some of our relationships. So yeah. Gonna, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm curious to hear about that. I'm going to type that into my notes right now. How has Dark Souls ruined your relationships? Final segment. Yes. Dark Souls will ruin your life. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's, that's the games that I've been playing. Let's go ahead then and do our next segment, the default segment. question and really we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on this but i thought it'd be a good time it's the end of may we're just about to jump into the sixth month of the year 2021 jared what is your most anticipated game coming out this year hasn't come out but is coming out in the next six or so months sure um i have no clue (laughs) um i i you know i has halo infinite come out yet no, that is supposed okay, to be so that, Q4. Okay, yeah. then that would be that would be my answer. I couldn't remember when it was coming out. Um, my brothers and I are going to as soon as whenever we see each other, the four boys we play Halo, and I cannot wait until Halo Infinite comes out, and the four of us can like figure something out to play against each other. Um, so that would be that. And then Josh, I did want to make a comment that I I feel sad. I feel sad because <laughs> I'm a victim of. PlayStation exclusives over here. Yeah. I can't play <laughs> I can't play Horizon Zero Dawn and I can't play the follow-up and uh, which is I can't remember the name, it's escaping me now. Forbidden um, West. Horizon Forbidden or Forbidden West? Okay. Horizon Forbidden um, West, yeah. There we go. So can't play that game. And the other game is like Shadow of the Colossus. I can't play that one either. Mm. Tagum PlayStation exclusives. Yeah, so that one's not that's, that one's an, that one was released. So it's not it's not one coming out this year. That's correct. Yes, yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. But I am a victim of of PlayStation exclusivity. I feel like a minority. Yeah, I <laughs> that's, mean that's, that's excluded. That's what Sony was going for, man. They yeah, you're right. They built up a tier of AAA titles that like are only on their platform, and that's their selling 
point, you know? Like, if you want to play Last of Us, if you want to play even Demon Souls Remake, that's a PlayStation exclusive. Uh, if you want to play, yeah, her, the next Horizon game, sorry, bro, you gotta buy a PlayStation. <laughs> like, that's that's how they get you. And I've always been a PlayStation guy, so it's easy for me to get the next one, but I I totally understand that from the other side of things. But you've also fallen victim to Xbox exclusive. Like yeah, Halo, you could totally flip the script. Right. Yeah, you could exactly. totally flip the script exactly. So I'm against the elites. That's what I'm against. <laughs> <laughs> Democratize it all. Make it free yes, for everyone. Occupy, Occupy Wall Street is turning into Occupy uh, Japan. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever Sony America's headquarters are. I don't know where they are. Yeah. Uh, my most anticipated game is actually Ratchet & Clank Rifted Apart, which you've talked about in the podcast. It's coming out June 11th, I think, is the release date, so it's right around the corner. So, quite honestly, I don't, I don't know a whole lot about the stuff that's coming out later in the year. Like, usually fall is supposed to be, like, big release time, but we haven't had E3 yet. Nintendo hasn't announced all their plans. Sony is kind of playing things close to the chest as far as exclusives are concerned. So there's some stuff that we know about, like um, Pokemon and stuff like that. But like, really, there's not a whole lot that's gotten me super excited, especially in comparison to Ratchet and Clank. So really looking forward to that. It's been a driving force in my life. <laughs> the last couple of weeks, I've been like really wanting to get a PlayStation Five. And Karina yeah. has to constantly talk me down about it. And, like, literally yesterday, I ha- I follow, like, five accounts on Twitter that will let me know when a PlayStation 5's in stock. And typically what happens is, like, I'll look at my phone, and all five of them have already tweeted about it. And it's been, like, 20, 30 minutes. And then I'll click on one of the links, and it's already out of stock. But... Yesterday, I was literally sitting on the toilet, and all of a sudden, I got one notification from one of the accounts, and it was like, PS5's in stock in, I think it was GameStop. Or no, it was Target. And I clicked on the link, and there it was. It was right there. It said, you know, purchase now. And I was just like, my finger was like shaking over the button, like, oh, it's right. (laughs) I could do it right now. I'm right at the front of this whole thing. And and then I didn't do. I relented, and we'll have to wait. I, I'm gonna have to wait to get one. But um, really looking forward to that. And and the one of the main reasons why I want to get one is because of Ratchet and Clank. So just love that franchise. Looking forward to playing it when I get to it. But that's my most anticipated game right now. Uh, we'll see what happens after E3. Like who knows what's announced? Yeah, it's gonna be a big time. Yeah, for so sure. things will definitely be changing then. But. With that said, let's get into the heart of this podcast, Jared. It's been 30 minutes and 30 minutes too long because now it is time to talk about Dark Souls.
Dark Souls is a Western RPG from the Japanese studio From Software. And it was a game released in 2011 that really flipped the industry on its head with its vision, with its gameplay mannerisms, its commitment to really the opposite of what a lot of companies were doing at the time. And since then, souls, that that term, souls-like, you will hear all throughout the industry because it has had that big of an impact. And we are jumping in now, Jared and I, in Dark Souls Remastered. We both played it, I believe, on the Switch. Is that correct, Jared? Yes, yeah. Okay, so we are coming from the perspective of specifically the Nintendo Switch and how it plays there. But, Jared, let's let's get into it. What was your impression of Dark Souls? So my overall impression, um, first impressions were creepy in a good way. Um, yeah. Creepy in a good way. Obviously, the first time I died, I was like, okay, it's it's time. Uh, I have now died in a Dark Souls game. I have unlocked <laughs> true level one amateur gamer, right? Um, you know what I mean? And yeah. I honestly had this crazy thought. I was like, I'm going to try not to die at all. I'm just going to just spam until I don't die. But that's impossible. I don't think <laughs> yeah. you can play a game like this without dying or... Um, you know, so it, the creepy in a good way and just hard and yeah, you know, the, the lore and the opening sequence, dude, I love the opening sequence. I love that the world they set up, you know, so my first overall impressions were just straight up impressed. I really, I really liked it, uh, for my first impressions. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So then what were by, how did those impressions develop? Let's hear the, the, plot points in the story arc of Jared's experience with Dark Souls. Sure. So um, I intentionally went into the game blind. Uh, I told my some of my friends that I was going to be playing Dark Souls, and they're like, oh, you know, here's what you need to do. And I intentionally ignored it and left it out, and I don't even remember what they said intentionally. Um, and so I chose uh, a sorcerer, and then I chose the old witch's ring. Because I, like an idiot, <laughs> assumed that all starting gifts were created equal. Uh, and uh, we'll talk more about those gripes later, but that was, my, that was my start. And I can't tell you how many times I regretted that throughout the game. I, I, really, uh, I really did re- end up regretting that just because of the trade-offs um, playing that way. Um, the Sorcerer is a, is a play style that forces you to play from a distance. And uh, it changes the whole dynamic of the game because the game constantly is getting in your face. Um, and then intentionally, you know, uh, the old witch's ring only allows for a very, very small, minute, specific part of the story to change yeah. ever so slightly. And not even in a, in a significant way. Um, so it, it's... Uh, yeah, from what I understand, once I it's really that, only for one character, right? Yep, it's it's for one character and it's really just like icing on the cake. It's nothing of substance. So that's that was a little frustrating not, to realize. Not a utilitarian <laughs> the, Correct. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's it's not yeah. an item you you want to use yeah. throughout the game for sure. So, so I played Jared, Sorcerer Sorry, go ahead. Night uh, sorry, I played Sorcerer naively and then, you know, just tried to make my way and 
Uh, by the end of the game, I was, you know, I was a sorcerer, but I had to use weapons anyway, and I was constantly struggling for no reason with a tiny HP bar, just because the requirements to be an OP sorcerer are so high, you can't level up, you know, much of anything else yeah. without hours and hours of grinding. And so I finally beat the final boss, who is very unkind to people who want to stay at a distance because it's a one-on-one fight, and right. that took hours and hours and hours. And I, I beat the game in just under 80 hours on my first playthrough. And I, I don't think that's very good. <laughs> but um, but part of that, too, is for sure leaving the game open while I look things up on my phone. A- after about, mm, I want to say, six hours, I opened my phone and said, I'm obviously missing some things here yeah. because I, I feel the game resisting me in a strong way. I come to find out that's just because it's hard. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend anyone's first playthrough be Sorcerer. And it's funny because I, th- I think my friend said that, but... What, what <laughs> made you decide, it. like, out of all the class options? Like, I'm curious, what drew you to Sorcerer? And then why did you decide to stick with it? Even after that six-hour mark, like, you could have moved away from it. But what made you decide to stick it through? You know, the grinding... Well, the six-hour mark is is just where I opened my phone and Googled Dark Souls. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. like I all of my eyes were opened right at the six-hour mark. Sure. And it was really closer <laughs> to like, to be honest with you, it was closer to probably 30 hours that I was like, oh, shoot. I've really, I've really m- not messed this up per se, but like I've gone about this all wrong. You several chose, of the steps that I've... You chose, it sounds like, it's kind of the elite path. Like that's kind of like the person who's played Dark Souls six times and now he wants to try Sorcerer. That's exactly right. Yes, that's exactly right. And so we're going to get into some opinions that I have about the starting. But but yeah, the rough timeline was Sorcerer, six hours in, I looked at my phone, about around 30 hours in, I realized I messed up and I should have started the game differently. And then after that, it was just gritting my teeth until I could get around it. And I have, you know, just... I have mm, probably about five pages of notes of what's wrong and right with this game here. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, it's that my final impression after beating the game was like, yeah, I should have gone about that differently. So but, then, uh, so but, then why did you, so what was the I like thought process behind picking Sorcerer in the first place? Right. So I, I, I did a lot of my comparison to Skyrim and th- there's a there's a good reason for that. One, they both came out in 2011 Um so the graphics are similar. Uh, the remastered looks a little nicer, but it's still, yeah. you know, you're playing off a 2011 game. And the concepts around what is good, because they were both made in 2011, or, or just before that, um, they they can be held to the same standard as far as ingenuity goes with, with concerns to menuing, with concerns to character design and building, with concern to stats, etc. They can be held to that similar standard. Um, and so I did a lot of my comparison to Skyrim, and one of my favorite play, uh, ways to play Skyrim is a pure mage with a high sure. elf character, um, just because the way the magic scales in that game, you know, Skyrim's an easier game, obviously, but if you go for a pure mage build in Skyrim, you're, he- like, really rewarded. Yeah. Um, so, and you become an all-purpose character with because their magic is so well-rounded, whereas in Souls, I mean, you're very limited uh, with the magic. It's a hard Which path. is another reason... Right. Well, it's a specialist path for sure. So if you're good at the game, it will pay off because you, one, you know where every enemy is around the corner. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but 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 also too, yeah. Specialization is is much easier once you've played the game through. 
And that's something that we'll talk about, but Dark Souls begs you, nay, requires you to play it multiple times before you can feel like you've kicked its butt. Because it, it, it will cut you off at the knee without letting you know it's going to kill you in the long run. For instance, Josh, you ran into this problem. I ran into it on my second playthrough. Um, so my first playthrough, I did Sorcerer all the way through, and then uh, j- there was a delay between when I beat the game and when Josh beat the game. So I picked up a sec- a build again and went heavy, just strength, vitality, uh, and endurance. That's it. Those are the only stats I touched. And the game you know, was much faster because of my knowledge of it. But, you know, I had, you know, I put 20 hours into that character and have already gotten to, I don't even remember, a Grave Lord Nito. You know what I mean? So totally different feeling. But, um, but I guess my point is, is that the, 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 trying to pick the sorcerer thinking it was going to be Skyrim was a huge mistake. Um, and you, you ran, the the game cuts you off at the knee because it will make you replay the game again. Like for instance, the firekeeper at Firelink, did you try to go and rescue the firekeeper soul? No, I, no, uh, no, I didn't even try. Even if you try to do it, it's ridiculously hard. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculously hard. So the game will, I kind of assumed that, which is why I was like, you know what? I'm good. At that point, I had the Lord Vessel, so I was teleporting. Sure. So I was like, right, right. I'm fine. Anyway, so, I, <laughs> so that was my first impression. Those are a bunch of thoughts. I have them all written down. I, I kind of threw them out of order at you. But, um, but yeah, so Josh, tell me why you never finished the game the first time around. Okay, so Jared, let me explain to you my impressions of Dark Souls at the start of... I picked up this game, I think, in 2014, if okay. I'm not mistaken, I might be wrong about that. I'm pretty sure it was my senior year of high school. Um, I had heard about it. Obviously, at this point, it was growing in legend. And I think Dark Souls 2 had come out, but Bloodborne hadn't yet. And mm-hmm. so the the mythos around the series was growing. And I was like, man, I, I and I, I'm pretty plugged in with the industry. So I was like, okay, man, I got to check this out. So I game flied the first copy of the copy of, of Dark Souls. Before, Gamefly, that's a throwback. I mean, it's still around. You can Gamefly today. But is it really? Oh yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, but obviously it's not as big as it was. But yeah, so like I, I got Dark Souls. It wasn't Dark Souls Remastered in the mail. I threw that sucker into the PlayStation Three, and I played maybe two hours, and I hated myself. Mm. I hated the game. I hated everything. I was like this sucks i am mad as all get out i am ticked i am not having fun this is not enjoyable this is not what video games are supposed to be i'm supposed to be having fun why right, is this right, game loved right. and i right. sent it back i game flight it back i i can tell you the exact point that i got i got to the second boss <laughs> if you count the demon in the undead asylum I got to the boss on the, um, what do you call that? It's not a bridge, but it's between towers. Um, so the wyvern dragon? Is it a dragon? I can't remember. It's Yeah, the dragon on the bridge after the bull demon, the Taurus demon, is not so, really a, I mean, he's a boss, but he's a mini boss. He's so it's the really Taurus demon then. The game. I, I didn't okay. get to the dragon. Didn't even get to the dragon. So I, and I remember when you get to it's the first 
it's the first bonfire um, in Undead Berg, where you you're kind of like in that little room. Later, you can kind of drop a ladder down to it. And as you walk out, <laughs> there's an archer and then a couple of hollows down the way. So I I struggled to get to that first bonfire. I was dying so much. I got to the first bonfire and I was like, oh, it's like a safe space. And I had heard about the bonfire, you know, so I was like, okay, that's cool. And that bridge, there's like a bridge right on the left when you come out of that room. You walk across, there's a a soldier who's shooting at you down at the bridge and then there's two soldiers that come out at you in the original i don't think they do in the remaster but in the original they they meet you on the bridge and so you have to like fight them while this guy's shooting at you and i died probably like 50 times just trying to kill those two freaking soldiers and i i hated myself and then after you get like once i kind of was like okay there's a cadence to this you know there's a little bit of a back and forth i got all the way to the black knight he killed me so i ran away from him and then i went up to the boss and just was dying over and over and over and i was like screw this game i hate this game what why would anybody like this game and so i sent it back to gamefly fast forward to 2017 bloodborne comes out I picked up Bloodborne. I think it was 2017. That sounds too... No, that's too, that's too soon. 2015. So I think I picked up Bloodborne in 2016. Sorry, I'm doing a bunch of timeline stuff in my head right now. But I, I picked up this game. Everyone was talking about it. And it had such an effect on me. Like, Bloodborne is Dark Souls perfected, in my opinion. And okay. I loved it. I was having so much fun. I got super far into it. I never ended up finishing it. And partially because I was... Uh, right in the midst of a very busy year of school. Uh, That's a totally different story. But after that, I had a a different feeling about the Souls games because of that experience. And so I got Dark Souls Remastered on my Switch in 2018 or whatever when it was released. And I've been playing it piecemeal. I, I, I got to... So I played through it. I had a better understanding of the mechanics. I got to about Blight Town. And I had heard a lot about Blight Town mm. and how difficult it was and painful it was. And for some reason or another, I just didn't push through Blight Town. Now, that was. I, I played things out of order. So um, I had already done the catacombs and. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I, you, I think that was it. So I did Undead Burger, did the Asylum, I did the catacombs. And then I think at that point I stopped and then I had, no, I did the drakes. So like I killed all of the freaking dragons in the Valley of the Drakes, including the undead one. And then I was just like, I kept going into Blight town and dying. And I was just like, I don't something about it just stopped, like just stopped for me in my head. So I never finished it. And so this, and, and quite honestly, I, I love this podcast, Jared, <laughs> because it is, it's Bard's backlog, right? So I'm going back to a bunch of games in my backlog and actually finishing them. And I love Mm. it for that. And Dark Souls Remastered is this, like this episode is this opportunity for me to go back to this game that I just never finished because, and this is, this is a trait of Dark Souls that we can talk about, but it repels. It pushes back. It almost like, it takes newcomers and, and tells them to leave. (laughs) right it's, yeah some, it's its own gatekeeper it doesn't even need a community yeah yeah and <laughs> because of that people leave 
people stop playing it. And I do not right. fault anyone for that because I was right there with you. And I right. I said screw this to this game a couple of times before I fully played through it. And so um, I appreciate this podcast because we can actually take the time to play this game and right. finish it and feel fulfilled for that. And so, yeah. I, I, again, I'm feeling kind of a high with that, so I want to carry it through with the rest of the series. But that's kind of that was my first impression with the game. This is the first time I've ever beaten it, so I just want to state that even though I've played... I've played two, three Souls and Sekiro. I've played, except for Demon Souls, I played all of them. This is the first Dark Souls game I have officially beaten, and I'm proud to say it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was that was kind of my history with the game. Yeah. So, uh, I don't, where do we freaking start, Jared? I don't even know. Let me. Yeah, let me start. Let me start here. Okay. So. Dark Souls is a, a game that's going to make you question how seriously you want to take your gaming. And it's intentional. This is where the game shines in that it has carved out a genre likened unto its own image. There's a reason some games are called Souls-like. You know what I mean? Um, if they're very difficult, Sekiro is like that. Um, you know, the, all the Dark Souls games, obviously Demon's Souls and uh, Bloodborne. And so the the... Uh, the whole thing is like, do you want to be considered an expert in gaming? Do you want to just have a tremendous amount of grit? Or do you want to be, you know, like Josh and send your game back? All are valid responses. This game will kneecap you repeatedly. And and if you're not prepared for that, if you're not expecting that type of backhanded treatment from your gaming experience, it's just not for you. And I actually don't even fault anyone for that response to it. Because to me... The first game was an imperfected, an imperfection, if I'm being frank, in, in one word. Like, I see what he was, he as in the creator was trying to do, but I, t- I text Josh, like, mm, I don't know, so at some point during my playthrough, and I was like, okay, the creator of this game is trolling. Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 no. Miyazaki is trolling. And Josh is like, no, 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 this is just a harken back to retro gaming. Um, and that's that's where I want to start because I want to I, I just wanted to make you uh, repeat that comment there. You believe that this game is a harken back to when games stopped holding, you know, didn't hold your hand. And I would yeah. love for you to elaborate on that. Yeah. Um, honestly, I, Dark Souls, and it's it's difficult to transport us back ten years ago to when it came out, but it was such an opposition to the vision that was going into gaming at the time um tutorials of course out the wazoo nintendo games had like all kinds of helps built into each one like if you couldn't pass a level eventually you'd just get an invincible mushroom and then you could get through and nothing would touch you and people were constantly berated with the message of oh you've been playing for an hour you should go outside for 15 minutes so on and so forth sure and then comes dark souls with this vision with this idea of purity and it doesn't care that people are going to bounce off it it wants to be it has a focus and it wants to be what it is and because of that it's it's so diametrically opposed to what gaming was then and has changed the industry since then and don't get me wrong, you're fighting against this game. Like, you're fighting Dark Souls. Like, Dark Souls is fighting you. It wants you to feel pain. 
It wants you to feel suffering. But that's because it's trying to commit to this vision of what video games used to be, which wasn't a hand-holdy, light-hearted, let's have fun today, and more of an experience. This is the world that we have. This is the vision that we have. And you as the player must adapt to our vision. We are not going to adapt to the market. We are not going to adapt to you. And that was how games used to be. Go back to the 80s, to the 90s. Jared, in some ways, I can tell that you haven't played a ton of retro games because yeah. of your response to Dark Souls. Right. Because even even Zelda games, which Zelda's kind of considered milk toast, you know, sure. happy Nintendo, family friendly. You go back and play certainly the original, but even Link to the Past, and you are lost. You are confused. The game does not throw itself in your face and explain everything to you. There's not a marker on your map about where you're supposed to go next. And maybe the progression in the game is hidden behind a false wall. And all all that that game was, was it was, it was, it was in a culture of people who were communicating with each other in recess, in the back of family cars, wherever, you know, just trying to figure this thing out before the internet exploded. And even then, it was in the far reaches of the internet it was in these weird forums in the corners of it and mm-hmm. and even then you didn't know if you could trust it and that's the that's the world that dark souls almost yearns to be back in and it's not it's, it's in the age of the internet but that that idea of hey we have a vision we have a goal obviously not everyone's going to be able to finish this game and yeah it's it's kind of artificially difficult in a lot of ways um which back in the in the retro times, 80s and 90s, they they had to make games artificially difficult to make the game seem valuable, <laughs> because otherwise sure. it'd be done in six hours, <laughs> and, and right, you spent right, right, right. fifty bucks on a six hour experience. But no, instead it's it's twenty thirty because it's it's just hard. Um, so uh, it's artificial, but that's that's what we're that's what we're going for, and. And we're not going to compromise. And yeah, not everyone's going to love it. But the people who persevere, the people who are willing to put in the time, the people who explore exhaustively. Like, I can remember playing uh, one of the older Metroid games. And I just went room to room. Once I got the scanning ability, and I just scanned literally every single wall, trying to discover if there was some secret behind it. And sometimes I was rewarded. And it felt good. But I spent probably hours of my life <laughs> just scanning an empty wall. And so, mm-hmm. like, there's, there's, a, there's an aspect to that. You know, there's sacrifice that happened there with my time. But that's kind of the vision that they're going for here. And obviously, it's, it's in a slightly more modern setting. So it is intentional, maybe even more than it was back then. But... I can't help but appreciate the vision they're going for with that. And and that's a fair, that's a completely fair argument to, you know, rebut my point. Um, in many ways, when I say that Miyazaki's being a troll, I mean, in the sense that it's, it was 2011 when this game came out, you know, and even the old games to compensate for the fact that they didn't have the internet would release game guides you know i don't know if you count that as hand holding but just the sheer like like the skyrim game guide 
was like a freaking dictionary. Yeah. It was it was a thick boy. It was a dummy thick boy. And I don't know <laughs> if Dark Souls was released with a guide, but I almost would have preferred like, hey, a guide's recommended or something like this. Like if you upsell me on a guide and then give me a vague game, I'd buy your guide. Like I would. Like you want to make a, a difficult game and say like you need the guide to unlock everything and uh, play through multiple times, I'm going to buy your guide. I'm going to buy your guide. But when I get a, a, a sense that you're trolling me, and being intentionally vague for difficulty's sake, because you know you're not you're not uh, strong enough technically to create consistent physics, and and you just like to frustrate and troll people. Like that's a troll. That's not difficulty for difficulty's sake. It's difficulty because screw you. <laughs> and I I just got the sense from this game, like. Um, uh, Number one example, in, in Orlando, when you get to the um, place of the gods, and you are you are fighting uh, the there's a Titanite demon into a, in a room to the left, just before the Great Hall, before Ornstein and Smo. His tail can go through the wall and smack you, but your sword, if it hits a wall, bounces off and you cannot smack things. So that kind of trolling. Like, trolling, like, difficulty for trolling's sake is what it feels like. It doesn't feel like you're making a consistently difficult game. It me- it makes me feel like all the progress that I've done to level up to a certain point to be able to handle my foes adequately goes out the window because they don't even have to play the same game. They're not following the same rules, if that makes sense. I don't know, so, like, though. Like, I kind of disagree with that because it's obvious that your rules are different from the enemy's rules. Like every boss encounter you have, they clip through the environment, and you just you're restricted. You're you're not supposed to hit a wall because your your armament will bounce off. And mm. so, like giving that example of the Titanite demons, which I praise you for even trying to attempt those things, they did not seem worth it to me. I anytime I saw a freaking Titanite demon, I went the other direction. I just, yeah. <laughs> I was like, nope, you're, I know your health is too high and you're freaking annoying. And I know that you move kind of slow, but yeah, you can clip through stuff and whatever. But like, I feel like it's rules aren't arbitrary. I don't think they're, they're inconsistent, I guess is the word I would use. I'd say they're fairly consistent. Um, they, they add layers to move sets to enemy move sets and to what they can do. And, and sometimes it, it, it mixes it up in a way that tricks and surprises you because you hadn't seen, you know, like that particular enemy use a fourth strike in a, what you thought was a three strike pattern. Sure. Um, but I don't think like, I, I, I guess I just wouldn't say like, that's where I would say like, I don't know if it's trolling. Like I, I do think it's, it's merely how they designed it. And yeah, you are at a, um, disadvantage, but that's that's kind of what he was going for. And of course, we say he, but it's the whole whole company. Sure, sure. And I like 
I, I'm not even going to lie to you, I like this dynamic of me attacking and you defending it, honestly. <laughs> because I'm glad that'll keep me in check because I have a lot of gripes. But, uh, but example number two, and we don't even have to spend all day on this, it's just a couple of things that I noticed that came up frequently with my sorcerer build. Is like in Blight Town, the little mosquitoes that come at you, yeah. my sorcery doesn't hit them because yeah. it enforces a center body hitbox. And it just flies right over the mosquitoes every single time. Yeah, that's so sucks. I'm, I'm, I'm. Well, that's 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 part of it. And then the mosquitoes, you can't dodge roll underneath them. It's a flying creature, but you can't dodge roll underneath the f- flying. Mosquito. When you're locked onto it. Um. Yeah, I, I'm. I, I don't. I just remember trying to dodge roll and then being unable to do so because it was a, an enemy. Like the hitbox was weird. It wasn't accurate to the, the size of the creature. Like the center of the hitbox was obviously over the mosquito. And so that's why my sorcery couldn't hit it. And then on top of that, I couldn't dodge roll underneath it despite it being a flying enemy, if that makes sense. So there's a couple things like that. I know the game was made in 2011 and a remaster really just means like kind of a re-upped skin a little bit yeah um although they did tighten up some patches and some glitch fixes which obviously thankful for because we don't have to deal with some of the things that the original players dealt with but at the same time it was really frustrating because it made me feel like it made me feel like my specific build really wasn't even supposed to be in there at times i guess because like again that's part of the reason i regretted being a sorcerer so many times all the time lock-on issues difficulty with range maybe it's maybe it's my specific build that i felt trolled a lot um that could very well be the case because as i played through the second time with the strength build i enjoyed it so much more and felt that my playthrough and getting better at that specific build was rewarded a whole lot more um and you know so so that's that's part of it um yeah no i I understand that and to be perfectly honest i don't know if I don't know if sorcery is neglected from, and, and I've never played a sorcery playthrough of any of these games because I just don't. I just, I assume that it's going to be bad. <laughs> but <laughs> if you notice, like this was something I noticed when playing through this particular time, a lot of the NPCs that you meet in the world and that can kind of go back to Firelink and whatnot are tied around sorcery. I know. So they're trying to give you resources in some way or another. Um, in a in a in a sense, but I'm kind of yes. talking in outside a, of my wheelbox. No, no, you're good. In a sense, yes. In a sense, no. So I'm not sure what it is about this specific build, but it just feels like it doesn't scale well. Like it doesn't. Like you have to have 44 intelligence to get the best spell in the game, but you have to have 50 intelligence to get this second or third best spell in the game so that like things like that um you know kind of just bothered me a little bit it's like yeah i spent so many hours building up this character just to kind of be trolled for lack of a better term whether it was intentional or not or an oversight or whatever and that's you know that that was really frustrating i feel like i'm i'm getting a, a little off uh uh topic here um well, we're talking about gameplay i i suppose right now um but so kind of an impression (laughs) fair enough fair enough fair enough but anyway and and then another impression i felt like as a sorcerer was that this is an overall is that as a sorcerer the grind is miserable Mm. and the bosses are unrewarding 
I, I can't tell you. Let me. I have a list here. I have a list. As a sorcerer, I beat the gargoyles on the first try because of distancing. The moth boss on the first try because of distancing. Quaylag, the spider woman, on the first try because of distancing. The undead dragons were a joke. The gaping dragon was a joke in the depths. And uh, I don't even want to talk about Ceaseless Discharge because it was embarrassing how I had to kill him. Uh, the just spamming crazy. Gravelord Nito was a joke. One first try. He's supposed to be one of the Lord Soul Shards. First try. Dead. Um, and uh, yeah. The grunt. You know how many times mosquitoes killed me in Blighttown? Probably 50 to 60 times. Probably. <laughs> easily. You know how many times uh, the the boss of the area killed me? Zero. Wow. So, so that's th- interesting that's because of, I, yeah. I I face my biggest difficulty with bosses. Exactly. It's like the flip that, side of that. Yep, that's the exact flip side of it. Like being able to distance, you know, as a sorcerer made bosses unrewarding because they were one-shotters. I mean, not actual one-shot, but just like it took me one try is what I mean. Yeah. It's like they're... It was, it was kind of ridiculous. It's like, I, all I did was just run backwards and spam you. <laughs> and and this is the, the fight I get. Whereas, like, little mosquitoes are kicking my butt, you know, trying to get to the final boss. It, so, was, yeah, it just so felt it's not wrong. As, so it doesn't sound as rewarding Yes. Well, that was the issue. That was the issue. It's like, all you know, I had people tell me, like, yeah, you, you shouldn't have done Sorcerer. It's like, did, <laughs> if I have 50 people on a forum say that they hated their sorcerer build the most out of all builds, Why maybe we're there? dealing with a slightly unbalanced game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So so those, that I, I need everyone to understand that when I suggest improvements or changes to this game, I'm not coming from a place of trying to make it easier. I'm coming from a place of trying to enrich it. Yeah. I, I just want to say that. Um, and I think, here's my most unpopular opinion. There should be a, not a beginner, but a first run-through limited run. You should have new game, uh, new game plus should be for people who have played the game before. Maybe they have a new save file, whatever else. And then new game plus plus or platinum game or something else for people who are doing a a continuation of a run-through. Because the new game plus is when you beat the game the first time, you start in Undead Asylum all over again, but you start with all of your stats and all of your power-ups and all of that stuff. Like, that's a new game plus. You yeah. don't lose anything. You keep your souls, you keep your level, you keep your skills, etc. So this game should have three of those. That's uh, uh, new game for beginners where you have, like, three classes to choose from. It really should only be three classes. And then um, you should go your two-handed heavy, your one-handed pyromancer, and your like a balance between the two because all the other classes are superfluous and don't need they're just not necessary on a, on a rough run through sure um then you then once you have like a new game but you know what you're doing then expand all the stats and, and different stuff like that um and then also my other very unpopular opinion is i don't think the master key should be a thing personally hmm. uh yeah that's that's my it shouldn't it shouldn't be a thing it makes it makes all of the other starting gifts irrelevant, other than Black uh, Firebomb, and it, it just comp- the other the gifts that they start you off with and the stats that they start you off with. There's like definitively better ways to do it 
than the the way that they did it, I guess, is what I'm saying. So anyway, that's my that's my Yeah, but like when you Go ahead. Even when you say that, Jared, I'm like But that's like part of the game's charm though. Is like if you know nothing about it, it's going to be like Yeah, you don't know anything about me. <laughs> like yeah. you picked an item that was dumb. <laughs> um and part of me just wonders, Jared, like why didn't you back out of the idea? Why didn't you, like, once you, like, the fact that you're saying at 30 hours you realize, like, oh, I done messed up. Like, I would have thought in hour two that you'd realize, oh, this game is pushing back on sorcery, mm-hmm. you know? And maybe I'm wrong. Again, I haven't played it, but, like, in my first time I played through it, like, it was very clear what this game was and what it was intending to be. And I just wonder if maybe you ignored signs and tried to push through despite it because of some sense of i don't know commitment yeah I guess, and that's that's fair to the original yeah. thought at, at first you know when i when i was playing this game and around the 30 30 hour mark when i realized like oh my goodness for my sorcerer build i have wasted precious um wasted precious leveling up on like endurance or faith when i didn't need to that kind of thing that's kind of when I realized, oh, I sure. messed up. Because I'd probably burn 10 to 15 level ups on stupid stuff that I didn't need. Like, like you know, strength. Like, you just don't need it at a, after a certain point. You don't need a certain amount of dexterity yeah. after a certain point because it's way outside of your class. And so I guess, like, you know, that's, that's partially why I said I done messed up. But 30 hours in, I still had... You know, I think I had rung maybe the first bell at 30 hours in. It took me a while because I didn't really know what I was doing. Like, I tried the catacombs first. Yeah. I tried New Lundo. I probably banged my head against New Lundo ruins for, like, probably six hours. No, not that long. <laughs> no, not that long. I had that. Sim- I had a similar yeah. experience, though, the second Probably time two hours. Before, so I totally understand because yeah. it's open exactly. to you. And you're like, oh, yeah, let's go oh, down yeah. here. Oh, yeah, it's wide open to you. I probably banged my head against that area for about two hours before I realized, like, okay, obviously I'm doing something wrong here. Um, I'm a little bit more obstinate than most, but you know, so it was, it, there was a lot of that, but not necessarily to spite it, but just because I felt like even after 30 hours, it's like, okay, I still believe that I can kind of, you know, turn this character around, you know what I mean? Um, so, and, and finish the game off, you know, doing, and it was a struggle, but, but I was able to, to do what I needed to do. You beat the game to your credit, man. Like. You you stacked the cards against yourself and you still finished it out. And for that, I can I can honestly say like props to you. Yeah. Like I barely beat the game this Friday and I was using I don't know if you call it a standard strength build to be honest. I didn't maximize its potential, but like I it was more typical than a sorcerer for sure. And it was hard and it was grueling and you took the the path of the most pain and you did it so like props to you man (laughs) um but yeah so you know that was that i think um i would love to i would love to jump into playability and by that i mean just like how the game feels in your hands as a as a system like user interface a little bit because i do have some some points there um yeah, I guess I'd only say, like, overall, like, this game is very obvious in that it is a struggle. Like, it is meant to embody the very idea of a struggle. 
<laughs> and and that can be off-putting. <laughs> For sure. Um, you progress, you fail, you struggle, you struggle so long. Uh, maybe you quit. Sure. Um, maybe you break through and then you progress and struggle some more. It's like an endless cycle of that. But like that's what it's that's what it's going for. Yeah. You know? And so like that's kind of the overall impression I, for I sure. Would, I, I would I will tell you that like what it's not going for and what it shouldn't be going for are some of the things that I'm I'm going to to mention here if I could. It's not quite gameplay, it's what I would call like playability, but like I did want to run through a couple of these things here. Like first of all I do want to say too, though, in in response to that, briefly, the like a lot of the issues that I'm assuming you're going to bring up about this, they get addressed in later games. Okay. Like I do want to say that, like, like if you, I, I wish, Jared, I wish that you you had a PlayStation because you could play Bloodborne, <laughs> and you could see how much they have learned from this experience. Okay. Because there was a learning curve. Um, okay. So I just want to say that is no. that they, like they've addressed a lot of these in the future titles. That's totally um, that's but, totally and completely fair. I think I'll I'll, I'll just run through these um, just a couple of things. Like for instance, one of the biggest issues, especially comparing it directly to Skyrim uh, and some other games like Xenoblade, I don't know what it is with the Japanese obsession with really complex stats and um, <laughs> menus, but these, yeah. they need to work on it. Like, I don't understand why every Japanese game that's a little RPG is, like, horrible menuing. The menus in this game are horrible and, again, unfriendly and very confusing. And unless I missed it, like, you can't rank order your equipment. But, like, Smash Bros. or something like that, like, you can rank order each of your items and equipment or whatever by damage you can rank it by defense you can rank it by this you can rank it by that you can rank it by requirement you can't do any of that in dark souls it makes it very difficult to just spend hours going through figuring out like what you can and cannot do based on item descriptions which are very vague for instance like uh the rare ring of sacrifice the rare one not the normal one the rare ring of sacrifice says in the description that it nullifies curses and it doesn't. If you're already cursed in the game, it doesn't take away your curse. It can, If you're wearing it and you happen to be cursed, which, unless you have a tremendous amount of foresight or you've played the game before, um, you'll, you're not going to know when to equip that ring. So you're going to end up cursed, and then it doesn't fix your curse. So, you know, they're, they're horrible item descriptions and things like that, and I, I hope to goodness they have fixed that in future games because some of that is just UI. That's not even bad gameplay, but it's just UI. So th- those, and then sure. the other thing I mentioned earlier was like the broken pendant at the beginning of the game doesn't do anything. Like Miyazaki essentially... That was, that was a troll. If anything in the game is a yes. troll, it's the pendant. And actually Miyazaki in interviews yeah. at the time was saying people should pick the broken pendant. And for like a year and a half after that, the community of people who loved this game were trying to figure out what the broken pendant does. And it does literally nothing. So that's a troll. So there you <laughs> like go. If anything yeah, in the there game, you go. Troll. I feel validated. <laughs> See, that's my point. Like I didn't even, I don't, I don't even have to make this point anymore. I shouldn't have even brought up the other things that I thought were trolls. I just felt like the game was trying to shaft me <laughs> and I didn't even know that. Oh yeah. So some of that stuff. So, I, but then on the other side of that, the playability to the menus and whatever else, like if you were to take my idea and do a, a new game, new game plus, and then new game plus plus, this, each of the classes offers a variety of ways to start off 
you know, based on strength of different stats and whatever else. And I really like that. Like the variety in the game is rich. It's beautiful. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, yeah, I, I really like that. I thought the detailed play style gets you more technical, gets you into the details. Uh, and I yeah. appreciate it. You cannot yeah. deny yes. the depth of this game. Very, very true. I, that is absolutely yeah. a point to this game. And then, you know, that, that is, you know, that's part of, that's really all I have to say about playability, but it just really bothered me that some things in the game were useless. <laughs> like, that's so dumb to me. Like, that's just, yeah, yeah. but anyway, that's really all. Again, that's kind of like an old school sensibility, though, you know? Like, Fair enough. I love that we're coming at this from two different worlds here, because what frustrated yeah. me was like, for you, you're like, oh, you crafty, you naughty, <laughs> naughty, you mess, you teasing me. So. Yeah, it's funny you bring up the menus because I thought they were straightforward enough. The only, the problem with the menus is, and this is a, a thing you could say about the whole game, it explains nothing. Right. It tells you nothing. Like, most of the, um, like, ability points and stuff are really only marked by the small little tiny symbol right next to it. And you come to find out those, like when you go to the level up thing and you can you can increase your health, you can increase your endurance, whatever, come to find out those correlate to pieces of equipment, to yep. weapons, yeah. and so on and so forth. And that's not explained. Yeah. You're not able to find all that out in the menu. It's just in the numbers and that little tiny piece of, yeah. you know, um, graphic art picture thing yeah. that's right next to the, the piece of equipment. Yeah. So. I don't think they were like hard to navigate. Like like Xenoblade Chronicles had hard to navigate menus. Yeah, and it's 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 somewhat straightforward to that, but it's just it doesn't explain anything. For it's like it's all here, and you figure it out. Yeah, for <laughs> for here here's um, part of it too. It's like if you were to have what would enrich this game is if you you don't know anything, right? But your character seems to know things. That's why the stats are there. Like, your character knows that if they take this to a blacksmith, they can level up this, whatever else. That's why the option shows mm. up when you go to the blacksmith. What I've, I would have really appreciated is that as I learn some things in menus and some things interacting with NPCs, like, if I talk to a character that, like, kind of mentions something offhand about Andre the blacksmith and that how he, like, he lives in the barrier between the undead parish and the dark root garden. Oh, hint, hints, location, right? So, like, I'm learning with my character. But when it comes to, like, here's what... It's like the game is like, haha, we know this, but you don't know this, and you, you will never know this. Like, there's no hinting <laughs> at how you could grow as a character. But if it were to say, I've heard tell of a blacksmith who could enchant divine weapons, and then all of a sudden, you, you the next time you talk to the blacksmith... It says this weapon is available for d- divine enchantment. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, but so, yeah. but but because it's all laid out for you in in front, it's like it's just hard to. It's I don't know. It's hard to. You can't. You, you don't have the opportunity to learn. It just expects you to kind of. I guess I don't know. Figure it out yeah. on your own after. Yeah. Again, it doesn't explain yeah. anything, yeah. and that's like the most obvious complaint that you can put toward this game. Yeah. You could say Dark Souls is too difficult. Sure. And Dark Souls doesn't explain anything to you. Yeah. And yeah, the the dialogue is dodgy at best. Sure. It's very vague. Um, the world itself is just vague in general. Like we'll talk about story a little bit later, but yeah, you're you're kind of left 
on your own and on your own volition to like really dig into this. And if you have no motivation to, you're not going to, and the game's not going to try to get you to be interested in it. Yeah. At all. So I, and and to be honest, I think people would be right to see that as a problem. I think you're right to see that as, as sort of an issue. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's too difficult for some people. That's okay. Right. Um, it's not clear. It, It doesn't want to tell you about itself. And and that's that's obvious, but it's it's not. I don't think it's trying to do that. It's not trying to get the people who are experiencing it for the first time um, to like it. Yeah, they're they're going for a particular vision. Um, it refutes dumbing down the experience. Like it just says, no, I'm not going to do that. I I have my vision. This is the world. You figure it out. I'm not going to like exp- like lay it all out for you. Right. Um, and because of that, I think quite honestly, it's, it's a very valuable product and experience that you just almost cannot have anywhere else. Even in later souls games, like this particular one is so pure to that idea that, um, it's just, I, I, I quite honestly think that that is the reason why it caught the attention of people the way that it did. Right the reason that it built such a massive fan base and online internet community mm-hmm. and the reason why it has so indelibly changed the industry since then. I can't, I can't uh, argue I, I truly believe that. Right. I can't argue. And that's, I guess what I'm saying is like, no, I definitely can't argue against any of the things that you just mentioned. Those are great points. That's the, the game both excels and falls short in its, in its, um, uncut, seemingly unedited raw form. What's perfected later in Bloodborne is raw and exposed and edgy in in this Dark Souls. And probably even worse in Demon Souls. I'm not sure. Like if you were to make it if you were to explain to me how Demon yeah. Souls is a smoother, better game than Dark Souls, I'd say, mm, see that's why I like Dark Souls even less. But um Yeah. No, you're no, I, just quickly yeah. to discuss Demon Souls. Demon Souls is a one path game. So the only thing that it does is present difficulty with encounters with enemies okay so it's got the gameplay side but it doesn't have the convoluted world okay gotcha and the weird shortcuts and the confusing yeah. what do i do next it has none of that one of so it fair, is much more simple okay so fair enough so i i will last thing here as far as playability is concerned and this is uh, the best for last in my opinion the the worst failing of playability is the fact that you have to do humanity with extra steps you cannot just go to the bonfire and reverse hollowing by having humanity. You have to go and consume it and then reverse hollowing. You're just mm-hmm. doing humanity with extra steps. Additionally, yeah. as a sorcerer, you cannot switch up your magic slots like you can with your weapons. So your magic slot takes up the top of your uh, four options or whatever on the bottom left-hand side of your screen. Right. And my magic goes on the top slot of that. You have to attune your magic, is what it's called, attunement. To a- equip magic, you have to rest at a bonfire to do that. You're not allowed to just endlessly scroll through all of your magic like you can with weapons. If you can, if if you're pretending to carry around a bag full of all of your weapons to choose from at any point in time, as long as you have the requirements to use them, and even if you don't, you can still use them, which is a funny gimmick, but I like it. You can't do that with magic. You are limited in your attunement, as if with things that have no physical weight, you can't carry them? Question mark? You see what I'm saying? Mm. 
Like, I, yeah. that, that inconsistency annoyed me a, a little bit as well and made me feel like, man, this game is just not meant to be played as a sorcerer the first time around at the very least. There's yeah. just too many... It's almost like it's less thought out. Exactly. Like, it just wasn't considered well enough. But the humanity thing is unforgivable. Considering how big of a deal it is to have humanity... I'm okay with reversing it at the bonfire because then you're kind of simulating a mini run-through, right? Like, you have to make that decision and then go kill baddies and try to survive, right? That's different. What I'm talking about is just, like, the stupid extra steps it takes to kindle a bonfire when you have the humanity on you. Like, you have it on you. It's not, like, you don't have it. But But it's not in that counter at the top left corner. That's foolish to me. Like, that's just an oversight. That's, like, just dumb. So, anyway... That is by far the most egregious case of a, like a lack of playability. Like that's just dumb and unnecessary to me. But other than that, I don't have any more to say about dumb menuing and stuff. <laughs> but I had to bring that up because it was so humanity is so crucial to the way the game is played that that's just bad design at that point. Yeah. No, I I, I agree with that. Like, there's a lot of you know, old game is old. Like, yeah, it's, fair. Yeah, I mean, you're it's right. It's not ironed out. There's a lot of little hokey, weird, goofy things that it does that it, again, it irons out in some of the other games. But yeah, I mean, we got to address it here and say, like, it totally messes that particular thing up. Yeah. And you're not wrong in that respect. Um, Let's talk about the gameplay specifically, Jared. Yes, I feel bad for, like, just kind of, like, rambling. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm loving this conversation. Uh introducing the gameplay how how did you think the game did with that and just like setting the tone dude to I how see, this whole process worked yeah this is where the vagueness of the game i think i think excels it, just in the sense that like it'll tell you a couple things like here you can kick doing this doing do, this is like a combo which feels old like old game to me right like you have to, street fighters a bunch of combos tekken's a bunch of combos in this game like they took as much comboing as possible I know that's not really what it is, but what I'm saying is, like, you, they give you so much more variety than you get in Skyrim. In Skyrim, you can't kick people. Like, think about that, right? You hack and slash, shoot your magic, whatever. In this game, you can kick people off ledges. You can dodge roll, or you can just yeah. take a quick step back, right? Or, you know, or you can strafe. You can choose to lock on or not lock on. You can repost. You can also backstab. You can... I love that. Like, the variety of combat within this game is excellent. That's w- that's definitely where it is meant to be played, again. And um, crucial. And crucial. Absolutely crucial for you to explore all of those options. Because some characters yeah. are going to require you to do, like, a backstab if you want to get anywhere. Especially, I think what's unique is that you get an invulnerabil- uh, you have an invulnerability shield for a quick second when you do a parry. Which is the game telling it. you, you need to parry all the time. Like yep. you, you need to risk death every single time you encounter an enemy or else you're going to be flaunting and just swinging and getting killed by hordes. So, or a backstab. Yes. Or, of those. Oh yeah. my goodness. I don't even want to talk about PvP. Oh, it's miserable. <laughs> I don't even want to talk about I it. Didn't, I didn't experience any of that, so I'm curious to hear your Oh, I'll talk about your experience it. Oh, with that. it's horrible. Jeez. <laughs> But no, the the combat for sure, Josh, is where this game shines. Absolutely. Oh yeah, totally agree. Like it's so detailed yep. all the way down to the timing of your swing. Yep. Or the timing of your dodge. Like you need to have a sense of that. It's not something that you're going to know at the at the start of the game. It's something that builds over time. And as you get a feel for that, and as each enemy uh, introduces a new set of timing and a new set of abilities, like 
you got to learn that. Yep. Like it, it's a learning process. Yep. But as you do that, it's it's it, it clicks, you know. But like once you get a handle on the timing of your swing, the sidestepping, the timing of dodging, uh, quite honestly, I feel like the the difficulty of the game, like the the mechanics of the game, are kind of pretty much figured out. Like once you've got that under your belt, you're in a good spot. Yeah. And from there, it's just a matter of adapting to slight changes to that. Yes, yes and no a little bit. And the reason I say yes and no is like, here's what I'll say. In the first run through of the asylum, right? Like you escape from Big Fatty and you're working your way around so you can kind of level up a little bit and hopefully challenge him and figure it out. The game has a variety of enemies, some armored, some not. And as a learning tutorial, that's what you want. Like you don't want to tell about the enemies. You want to show the enemies. And that's all the tutorial. I love the way this game opens. Oh, yes. I totally agree. I think it's beautiful. It's a classic introduction to like, this is the tone. Yep. You are literally, I don't know what happened with you, but like this, I walk into a room, a giant boss drops from the ceiling and I die. Like he wrecks me. Yep. And I all of a sudden I'm back at the bonfire. I'm like, okay, (laughs) I just learned that that's what's going to happen. Yep. (laughs) And then from there I can adjust. Yeah. And and I really I enjoyed it. Yeah, that that first run through of the asylum I thought was perfect for setting the tone and how gameplay works. But there's also some hidden things that they're not telling you. And that comes in large part with the dodge mechanics. So with those baddies, you know, the undead zombos with some swords that are swinging at you, you will realize pretty soon that if you dodge at the wrong time, their attacks will follow you. And, it, and additionally, like, arrows will curve at you. One of the first things yeah. is that you'll notice an arrow will curve to the right or left and track with you a little bit, which is, you know, another... You could throw that at trolling, but the reason I didn't put that under the category of trolling is because he warns you ahead of time. There's this one, you know, the, the first couple of enemies, they're shooting arrows, and you just you can't help. You'll notice. They're just curving at you, and you're like, all right, well... That means the game is trying to tell you, it's like, you need to dodge. You have a small window here. You remember Undertale when you're attacking someone? Like, you've got that tiny little sliver right there in the middle. Uh, is the best time to attack them. This game is going to do the same. You cannot dodge, you know, too early. And you can't dodge too late because you die, obviously. Like, you need to dodge the moment before something hits you. And that's... The, you know, the game warning you ahead of time. It's like, this game is going to be a game of precision. And I, I think it does it really well. The combat just shines. And I will say, too, like, spatial constraints and working within an, a limited area. Like, I mentioned, like, the tail going through walls and stuff. That's a limited example. Not every baddie does that. You can kind of make use of your environment every once in a while. And I'll bring that up later. Like, um, yeah, pillars, man. Pillars, exactly. Pillars like, are lifesavers. Oh, they are. I mean, you're talking about game... You know, first boss of the area, you got pillars saving your butt, and then sure enough, they show up in the Ornstein and Smo fight, and you're like, ha I have been trained for this. <laughs> um, it's good stuff. Yeah, I can't... Which also was another boss fight that. Oh yeah, and I can't wait. Movies. I can't wait to ask you, and we'll talk about favorites. But I think too, like combat within spatial constraints. Uh, I mentioned parrying, and that's excellent. The way that they force you to play in an environment, uh, Blight Town, some of the the. The poison effects, um, lava in Lo- in Lost Isolith and in um, the Demon Ruins, excellent, excellent geography and within mixed in with the combat. Love that all the way down. Yeah, 
No, I, I totally agree. You you have to be aware of your your spatial recognition. Like yeah. if you're if you're on a bridge, like oh dude, yeah, be aware you could fall off. You, you will, know, you will absolutely accidentally dodge roll off a bridge probably seventeen thousand yeah. times. Yes, <laughs> uh, dude. Oh my god. And goodness. you can bait other enemies to do that. Like yeah. I beat the um, iron golem. I knocked him off that bridge. I was like, sweet. <laughs> yeah, saves me a couple <laughs> Which I, smacks. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. You can do that with the. Uh, you can do that with ceaseless discharge too. If you take it, if you're able to survive his attacks. Really? Yeah, all the way down. He'll hang on at the end, and you can smack his knuckles, and he'll fall off. It shortens that fight considerably, but you can't really do it unless you have a lot of HP because he will hit mm. you all the way down that path as you're running away. He's just got a, like a long range. Anyway, that's besides the point. I think. I, yeah, I was getting wrecked by his flame breath. Yep. Yep, that's what. It, the yeah. only way I was able to beat him was by using the the stairs, which again is a spatial recognition of like, okay, I know when he attacks, it's going to be at the top of the stairs, so he's going to miss me because I'm I'm beneath it. Yep. Um, and just the way that those hitboxes work, like you you get a feel for like how they all correlate. Oh yeah. And and it is very nuanced. Yeah, and what's super cool too? Two more uh, two more points. Uh, the variety of enemies is amazing. You're talking, oh uh, dude. You're talking about like wh- what plasma breathing spiders? Excuse me, with little dongly things on their heads. Who? What? <laughs> who? Who had a nightmare and worked for From Software? Like, what is this garbage? But dude, dude all yeah, the way we'll down. We'll talk about design a little later. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. They're they very inventive on that front. And then probably my favorite dynamic of combat about this game is the addition of npc summons i don't know if you want to mention that here or later but like your sure. your buddies that you can mention uh or uh, sorry summon for a boss fight they are awesome like you're not getting a useless npc that's that's a really yeah. cool dynamic of that combat for sure yeah no the the npcs again something that's not explained you won't know about it if you have no knowledge of what humanity is and what it does in the game you're not going to see a single summon NPC throughout the entire thing. Yep. So I know like, I didn't. You're at a disadvantage there. I I burned through humanity because it fixed my HP. I was like, oh, I can use this to fix HP. Right, dude. You I don't think about it in I, a tactical way. Yeah. I wasted so much humanity. I'm so mad. <laughs> yeah. Which is again a learning curve of the game, but like, yeah. it almost again part of the part of the process is like, okay, Google this. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, figure out what's going on here which to be honest i did even with bloodborne and a couple instances where i'm like okay what is this item what does it do and and the original dark souls you're going to need to look up a couple things here and there it's inevitable but thankfully we live in the era of the internet and i think the game was kind of built around that idea Uh but yeah the the uh, npcs are are super helpful and if you are really struggling against a boss, which definitely happened to me on multiple occasions, look up an NPC. Like, look up a, a summon and see how they can help you. They they really make them a lot more um, accessible, I guess is the word I'm looking for, in the later games that they, that they build. In this one, they're a little bit harder to come by, and in some cases, you need to have followed a storyline, <laughs> which, yeah. again not explained yeah and all the steps behind that are are kind of convoluted 
So you you might lose out on that opportunity in the first place, but like those can be crucial to helping you out. But even in that, if you don't have humanity, you're not going to be able to summon. Yeah, the so. greatest the greatest disadvantage of the NPC thing is like the inconsistency of it. Like some bosses sure. have an NPC summon, some do not. Some have like the Four Kings boss. Like we're going to mention that one specifically because that's a uniquely annoying boss. Um, but like. You can summon the witch Beatrice, but only if you summoned her for the moonlight butterfly thing. So you have a, a, a narrow window of opportunity, and if you didn't summon her for the moonlight butterfly, you can't summon her for four kings. But here's what. From, right. what, from what I've read, even if you do summon her for four kings, she's useless. <laughs> like, she doesn't do Is enough. She? Yeah, she, she doesn't do enough. She's a sorcerer. She doesn't do enough damage. The four kings are intense already. Yeah, Dude, so I a, could totally see them being kind of useless so in that case. she actually, like... It's something about like the way because sorcery doesn't track well at times, her she's like pretty much useless for that fight. Whereas in the Moonlight Butterfly fight, which is already pretty easy, she like wrecks it in one or two hits. So it's like a it's a there's like a big disparity there. So like it could use some tightening up for sure and some like like I would have much preferred Sieglind uh, 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 Sieglind Sigmire of Catalina for the Four Kings fight than anyone else. You know yeah. what I mean? Something like that. Yeah. But, uh, no, yeah, or Solaire or something. Yeah, yeah. I or, yeah. Well, I mean, Solaire is a beast, you know. So, but, but, yeah. but, but the summon thing, I don't even know. I don't think any other game except maybe follow up Dark Souls games has summons. Like in 2011, the strength of a summon and the true like camaraderie you get from battling it yeah. out with Ornstein and Smo with Solaire is like unparalleled. That is such a dope fight with him in it. Yeah, it totally changes it and. And yeah, in in some way, later Souls games kind of cheapen the summon. That's something I've noticed with two, is like they're easy. They're easy to come by. There's not a whole lot of effort you need to put into it, and they totally make boss fights kind of obsolete. And so, in the original Dark Souls, that is something that like if you can harness that, if you can use that to your advantage, it it really does change the way that the whole thing plays out. I feel like we've kind of gotten off track a little bit from gameplay. Fair enough. Because, Jared, I, I do want to say, like, the whole crux of how this game works is so different from other games. And I'm curious. I want to hear your impression of it. But, like, this entire game is literally designed around the one game trope that most gamers take for granted, and that's dying and repeating you die and you repeat you Mm -hmm. learn and you progress and you have to get a handle on the gameplay side of things the combat in order to progress and once you do you're able to get further but at, at that point it's still like you're going to die and repeat and because of that dying is such a crucial crux to this whole thing like dying is traumatizing oh dude (laughs) like when you when you've made a run of like okay i have like you know early game you've got like eight thousand souls and you've killed like 15 different enemies and all of a sudden you come across a conflict a, a challenge that's a little bit too much and you die you're like heartbroken you're like, no, and you start back at the bonfire and you realize I have to run through everything I just did back to that spot 
where my souls dropped in order to get all that back. And it is, it is such an interesting dynamic. Yeah. It is a game that's built about around like literally soul retrieval. Like it changes everything. Yeah. You, you, you've built up this repertoire of assets of this is how I'm going to level up my character. And it's out there. It's past 15 enemies that I had a struggle against last time. And now I have to face that all again. Um, yeah. How did you feel about that loop Dude, of die and repeat? I loved it. That's where the game shines. Like The game is enjoyable in its difficulty because it has such a way of making the stakes constantly high. Constantly high stakes. Constant stress release all the time. It was... It's a game unlike any other in that capacity, uh, unlike any other than itself, because you're like, oh, my goodness, there's so much at stake. If I don't play this run through perfect again, uh, because it was already difficult to get as far as I did the first time around, if I make a slip up again, if it doesn't go that way, if they don't use the same attack pattern again, I'm screwed. Um, yeah, it's it is difficult, especially in such high stakes like an an Orlando. There's a part of the game where you kind of have to like run up the stairs, run down some stairs, yeah. run across some ledges, skinny ledges while you're getting shot at. And what if you don't do that perfectly, repeatedly, you're going to lose, you know, tens of thousands of souls repeatedly, uh, which yeah. are all just so crucial to leveling up because you you know, especially if you played it through before, you know that grind is necessary and you need to be maximizing on how many souls you can get so you're leveling up with the difficulty of the game because if you don't. You're going to get to a point just before the Lord Vessel, which is why that Ornstein and Smo fight is so perfectly placed, where you hit a wall. And then you're stuck and difficult to get out of an Orlando. So, you know, it's it's uh, it, it's and a you're game. you're trapped there. Say what again? You can get trapped there for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can get trapped many places, but a Norlendo is uniquely difficult because you got to go back through yeah. Sen's Fortress, which is ridiculous. Anyway, besides the point. Um, yeah, the, the, the level of difficulty of this game because you sense, you know, you, Firelink is your home base, right? Which means mm-hmm. before the Lord Vessel is placed, the longest physical distance you can actually travel is actually a Norlendo. And then after that, the Duke's Archives. But, you know, by the time you get to the Duke's Archives, you already have the Lord Vessel, so it's not, it's, it doesn't matter. So physical distance-wise, I mean, you're venturing into Darkroot Basin. You're, you're venturing into, you know, Valley of the Drakes, Blight Town and stuff. Uh, well, maybe not Blight Town because it's right down, you know, the, the the elevator there. If you have the master key, which again shouldn't be a thing anyway. Um, but no, a Norlendo <laughs> up until that point, because you've gone from Firelink Shrine through Undead Parish, through uh, Sense Fortress, through a Norlendo. Right. That's a long journey, dude. And you can easily it get is. stuck that far if you realize that you can't manage Ornstein and Smell. Uh, you're going to be stuck there in a lot for a long time. So it, the stakes are constantly high, and that's something that this game has on any other game I've played. It's incredible. Risk versus reward, dude. You're, t- you're, yeah, yeah. That feeling we get when you know you've pushed too far. Yes, you know? yes. You're like, oh, okay. I have way too many souls in my repertoire, yes. and I am just going forward because going back to the bonfire is too far at this point. Yeah, like. I just need to keep killing enemies. And each enemy you come across, you kind of have like a a lump in your throat yep. and you're slightly worried about, okay, this might be the end. 
Um, but you just like keep using those strategies. You've got a handle on the mechanics and you just keep pushing forward. And hopefully you're just like praying that there is a bonfire around the corner. And, and sometimes there's not. Yeah. Or, or it's, <laughs> and hidden. that's the risk versus reward. It's hidden really well. It's hidden in an off the wall place that unless you Googled it, you were probably never going to find it. So sure. Yeah. Like, in some cases. Yeah. And, and especially later game cases in the early game, they're pretty obvious. to come across. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. I, I would say like two stand out as, as uh, cases. And obviously, as you guys know, spoiler for any game that we cover, the illusory wall in Darkroot Garden just before the Crest of Artorias door, you know, to the Battle of Sif. Like, before you yeah. pay Andre to open that. Crucial. Crucial. That illusory wall bonfire is crucial. It's going to save you so yeah. much time. Um, Which I think, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, on my second playthrough, I found without a guide. Did you really? Because you, yeah, because you get a feel for, like, okay, this wall's got to be fake. Like, you, you get a feel for, like, okay, there's stuff hidden behind fake walls here. I can't remember where it teaches you that, but the game teaches you, like, some of these walls aren't real. And you can kind of, like, look at them and get a sense and kind of smack around. So... And it does that in a couple instances. Like, another instance is the, the mimics, where you're like, okay, is this chest real? <laughs> yeah. And you kind of smack it first. Like, that becomes, like, your go-to is, like, just swing at it real quick and if it doesn't react okay then it's a regular chest yeah if not you gotta don't open it because it's gonna munch you yeah i definitely have (laughs) trust issues because of dark souls that's that's uh something that i don't even know that i need to say that's like the obvious result of playing this game but i would i would disagree with you the illusory wall and here's why like to me it didn't seem obvious at all just because the game's older Mm. like the graphics for a hidden wall blend in perfectly with other walls to me like i did not notice at all that there was a hidden wall anywhere i had to look all of them up. i can't remember i can't remember when it teaches you but i remember a distinct and maybe maybe it was because i played bloodborne i might be attributing it to bloodborne maybe i don't know but but i i remember going into the game being like some of these are fake so and so every now and then i kind of just smack around and be like okay this one it opened up in a, an area or whatever. So I this is where this is where the online play becomes crucial. So this is where I credit Miyazaki tremendously. Because if you okay. play with online on, all of those tips and tricks are people will spend their hard earned, you know, white sign or orange stone orange stone soapstone or whatever it's called to leave you a message telling you where the illusory walls are. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's a Which whole. Is beautiful. That's a whole component that you get um, helping each other out. In that sense, the online play is crucial. In the other sense, the PvP, it's absolutely annoying. But, but yeah, yeah, let me let me ask you about online, Jared. Sure. How was your experience with that aspect? Because that was something that was very unique when this game played out. Is oh, that yeah. like you are experiencing the experiencing this world amongst other gamers yeah and yeah like there are times like even in playing dark souls 2 i've noticed it a couple times because i I didn't play dark souls remastered online i played offline because i don't have nintendo switch online but even playing 2 i've noticed a couple moments where like i see like a ghost kind of like run in a direction i'm like how did he do that sure 
he just did something and I, I don't know how he got past that obstacle. Yeah. And so I start to experiment at that point. I begin to learn. And then obviously there's an influx of messages. And then, yeah, there's the difficulty of like invasions, which are a totally unique thing to just how your dynamic and your run is going to play out. But Jared, did you, did you enjoy the online? What did you think of it and how did it work out for you? Yeah, I enjoyed 85% of it. Minimum 80, what 80, 85, 75, something like that. Okay. That's not bad. Yeah. Here's why. The, the coolest, some of the coolest moments for sure are when, if not the coolest moment of online play, like for instance, someone left a white sign soapstone outside of the Iron Golem fight my second time playing through. I summoned another online person to help me fight the Iron Golem, and we took him down on the first try handily, the two of us. That was a really cool moment. Some stranger, don't even know. They get kind of like a lesser reward because they don't actually lose anything if they die as a phantom, you know? But so Lair's like kind of um, vague comment when you first meet him on the bridge, like, you know, time is warped, you know, you're going to meet heroes from different eras, you know, whatever. He doesn't sound like that. He's not Russian. But you get the sense. You, you know, you get the idea. Um, you know, he he's telling you that time is at a weird place. And so it's going to, uh, it, it's going to be... Um, phasing in and out and other heroes of times long past etc and then the game does that through the online play it'll take you a little like shade of someone who played through this area and you'll see how they died so you touch a blood stain and it sees them going up to a chest and getting munched you're like oh shoot that's a mimic you know like you know thank you i'm saved by the online yet again the bonfires through this illusory wall ahead right um whoa okay shoot the bonfire is just over this edge. You got to look down and drop off. Oh, daggum! I never would have found that. Um, great treasure to the left. D- all the online helps are great. You don't need the internet if you have if you're playing online. But the other twenty percent of that, where it's miserable, is when you get invaded by another player, and it's just horrible. It's so laggy. It's such a bad system. And part of that maybe it's because it's Nintendo. I don't know. But like, so many of the players are going for backstabs. That you're literally just standing there. I, I, I think I spent probably a total of like eight minutes circling a player. Just circling. Trying to get backstabs on each other. That's all we... It was, felt ridiculous. It felt like I was playing with a four-year-old. I was absolutely just so turned off by it. Um, Yikes. Yeah. I, I just... It was so cringy. It was so ridiculous. And so... But here's the thing. If, if, if you're not... If you're not careful, they'll get to like... Let's say you're standing up straight and you you know, put your arm straight out in front of you and then change it to like a 45 degree angle where it's still kind of in front of you. Like that's literally the only angle they need to get on you to be able to do a backstab. It's such a broken Mm -hmm. mechanic that it's just miserable. It's just stupid. I finally got so fed up with this dynamic that I just stood there and let him kill me because I didn't know how to banish him. I don't, I don't, I didn't know at the time. I Googled it later. But I was like, all right. Yeah, there's what? items, right, that you have to use? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I, I was just like, this is so stupid. I'm so tired of this. I, I, whatever. Just whatever. I don't care. Um, I, that's how fed yeah, up I that's got a, with it. That's a dynamic that I, did, I just didn't deal with. Yeah. And it is one that's, again, interesting in some ways because sure. of the fact that it can reveal secrets. But then in other ways, it's just so annoying. Here's, and, yeah. Here's another thing that was really cool, though. If you have humanity going, and I think, I'm not sure that it comes with online, I don't know, it could just be that I didn't run into it, another really dope 
dynamic of the game is getting invaded by an NPC. So, like, down in Blighttown, if you have humanity, you're going to get invaded by Mildred the Maneater. And there's yeah. this chick with, like, you know, a two-top or whatever weaving a butcher's knife and wearing a sack on her head. And she's boss. You know, and you fight her one-on-one. And the, the one-to-one combat, especially, you know, against NPCs that act like players, is the the coolest part. I texted you at some point. I was like, yeah. as soon as you unlock the Crest of Artorias in the Darkroot Garden and you, you get to fight, like, the Sorcerer and the Knight and the whatever, that's the best part of the grinding for the game. Like, that's so much yeah. fun. Because um, they're worth, like, 2K. Yeah. Yeah, it's kill. worth yeah, it's and, worth a decent amount. And they're amount. fun because, yeah, yeah, they act like regular players. Exactly. That's the, the funnest part. Being invaded by like a random person on top of what you already have to deal with is a dope gameplay mechanic. Totally love that. Knight Kirk of Thorns, Paladin Leroy in the Catacombs, or the Tomb of Giants, rather. That's super cool. And then, too, you can summon Maneater Mildred to help you fight off Quelag, the, the Witch Spider. That was super right. dope, too. Like, I just beat this person, and now they're helping me. Totally dope gameplay mechanic. So, highly, And I think like yeah. that's something that I just don't... I don't want to skip over, but like that is so unique, especially yes. at this time that this game came out. Oh yeah, such an original idea. Absolutely, I will say. Um, as far as like gameplay and run-throughs, again, another thing with the sorcerer is like you don't find. Well, that's not true. You kind of do, but you kind of don't. With sorcery specifically, like you find pyromancies lying around. You find. Um, miracles lying around as far as i know i don't think you find sorceries lying around maybe i'm wrong i probably am wrong i'm probably getting it wrong i'm sorry but for me i purchased all of my spells like i had to pay Mm. right what was really frustrating to me was to get this was probably this was like around 30 hours in right i got to the the painted world of ariamis and I, I climbed through that painting, and I ended up with Velka's Rapier, which is, you know, in a little off the beaten path, slightly area to the right behind a, a door you have to roll through, whatever. It's a great weapon. And what frustrated me more than anything is that after all of the leveling that I had done up until that point to get my intelligence up to, like, in that at that point, like, close to the 30s, somewhere in there, um, some in the late 30s, which is a, a lot of leveling up, um, I all I had to do was spend like less than a sixteenth of that amount of souls to level up Velka's rapier, and I had a more effective weapon than my magic leveling that far. It was so frustrating to me to, to have that happen. I, I was that was probably the moment where I was like, "I'm playing this game yeah. wrong. I'm playing as a sorcerer, and I shouldn't be doing this." But you know, that sigh explains a lot. That's what I'm sure. saying. Like that—that that was so frustrating to me that I was like pay to play at that point. I was like, "What am I doing here? I just spent—I just spent however many souls, and I bought the equipment right there from the blacksmith. I didn't even have to go find it. I could just buy it from him. It was like Twinkling Titanite. All I had to do was like go out, um, kill a couple of the knights with my sorcery from a long distance, collect the ten thousand souls, go buy some more, and level up this little rapier. And it took me. You know, like I said, close to a sixteenth of the amount that it did to level up all of my magic, and that sword, that little sword, was more powerful than what, and often was more handy than what I was able to do with my magic. It just, you know, that was really frustrating. I can't even lie to you. But Hmm. another frustrating part was like because you're not leveling up strength, you can't even wield half of the coolest items that you find. And part part of that is like 
you're discovering these really dope armor sets. Like Havel's set is something you get when you finally get to an Orlando, and that's close to the amount of time that you have when, like, when you have that level of endurance and strength to wield his armor. It's so boss to be a tank that big. But if you're anyone else, discovering these hidden walls and these these extra bonus awesome weapons, and you only have six sorceries to choose from, it's like, oh, I just played this game wrong. Like, there's so many good weapons. I could scroll through. It'll take me like ten seconds to scroll through all my weapons. But it takes me, like, you know, one glance on my one screen that I don't need to scroll through to see this the sorcery that I've been using the entire game. So, you know, yeah, part of I that... Mean, I mean, I think, I think the, the awesomeness of weapons is kind of being overstated here. There's a lot of weapons that kind of turn out to be generic. And maybe you've noticed that when you've played through your second time, but, like, they don't... Um, scale in ways that are incredibly valuable yeah and that was something i i had to unfortunately like learn and google with my playthrough this time is like i can't just stick to my gargoyles axe or whatever like there are clear better weapons and that's not something you know like again part of the game just not explaining itself to you yeah but okay Let's talking about gameplay. Let's wrap this up, Jared, because um, we've we've talked about all kinds of intricacies. And again, you could probably discuss this ad nauseum for hours. And <laughs> You're hours right. And I hours. feel bad. <laughs> the whole crux of the gameplay is about you know satisfaction from overcoming pain and punishment. Yep. And maybe you lose some of that in sorcery. So maybe the moral of the story is don't do sorcery. <laughs> I would agree. I would agree. Because because playing as using all of your combat variety to beat a boss is so satisfying. I dodge yeah, over here. And that's part of what like what I was gonna say exactly. is like you cannot deny oh, yeah. the excitement and the relief that comes from finally overcoming this challenge that has been like in your face and wrecking you and putting you down. Like, I mean, just immediately in my mind, it, four kings in that boss battle. Like, I think that took me like five hours. Sure, yeah. To finally overcome. And like, that's that took me like going back. I had a Google, like, what's a better weapon? Because I was just using a basic battle axe for most of the game. And I was like, this obviously is not going to cut it. And I went back, found a better weapon, uh, had to farm a bunch to upgrade the weapon. And then from there, I was able to finally beat the four kings. And it was like, okay, great. Um, But, like, you can't deny the fact that, like, when I finally beat the four kings, I was, like, elated. I was ecstatic. I was, like, jumping from my couch and pumping my fists in the air and so freaking excited that I was able to do that. And that's, that's part of the beauty of this game. Yeah. Um, but talking about that briefly, Jared, I had a quick question. What is What was your most painful, what was your worst backtrack moment in the game where you had to like really think about it and go back and stop and realize you're not equipped for this and, and go and figure it out?
Yeah, um, so this is, that, that comes to, like, the beauty of the game in a lot of ways. Um, the beauty of the game is that it is going to require you to grind. Every time you rest at a bonfire, all of the enemies, well, most, most of the time, respawn. Some do not. And so, in each area, there's a good bit of grinding that's built in that's appropriate to the difficulty of that area. The, the game is meant to be played Undead Berg, um... Get get the key to get the key to the basement, you know. Go to Lowerberg and then go to the depths, and then from there, etc., etc., etc. It's meant to be played a certain way. You start to get a feel for like how they want you to play the game, which is another reason why I don't think the master key should be a thing. Besides the point, anyway. Um, I, the biggest backtrack moment was probably, oof, that's a good question. Probably Four Kings, to be honest, because that was the first big boss fight I tried to take on. That was the first of the Lord Souls I tried to do. And I just was like, I am not equipped for this. I'm not doing enough damage per second. And then the next one comes, and the next one that I'm doing with four at once, and I just can't I can't keep up. I am totally unequipped to deal with this. It's a very cool arena. It's like unique in the sense that it's completely unobstructed. So it's all about damage yeah, per second. Abyss. Right. So it's all it's about damage per black second. Other than the characters that are in it. Yeah. And then um the so how did you overcome it i'm curious i got better spells i i, I had to beat seeth the scaleless first and get the crystal soul spear and then as soon as i did that the four kings each died with two hits each so it didn't matter as a sorcerer from a distance yeah oh yeah the spells get that big when you get to that height but that's what i'm talking about unrewarding boss fights it's like i i soul speared you know because you can get the soul spear and the crystal soul spear and the homing soul mass and each of those are so much damage. You can take out a boss in two hits. I'm talking like two hits, Josh. Like f- each of the four kings took two hits. Seat the Scalus, once you get the Crystal Soul Spear, takes six hits. Because um, he's a little immune to crystal stuff, so it's a little different. Gravelord Nito took three hits. And uh, who's the other one? Um, uh, oh, Bed of Chaos. Well, that's a puzzle boss that's not really like a a, yeah yeah, that's different yeah yeah. but i'm telling you like very disappointing boss fights like they just didn't take me very many tries once i had all of my biggest so interesting it is and that's you know again where i'm coming from right but like yeah the the four kings boss was probably my biggest backtrack moment which was so frustrating because i had mastered new lundo ruins at that point like i knew where they all spawned new lundo is so different from the actual boss fight like totally new lundo you can run through like i think i beat all of new lundo and beat or got to the boss fight i didn't beat it but like i got to the boss fight in one run through well dang yeah and then when i got to the boss fight i was just like hitting my head against a freaking wall yeah and i had to totally rethink what i was doing did that shortcut so funny because Oh yeah, oh yeah, that totally changed everything. Like I, so, so you can get into a. I don't know what the bonfire's name is, but like there's a there's a cave between Darkroot Basin and um, Darkroot Garden, and it's right outside of the Undead Berg. Which getting to that even was such a fun thing and so interesting, and like how I first experienced the game because I found that before in my second playthrough before I actually beat it in this third playthrough and (laughs) like running past the Hydra running past, I think that's Havel 
in that tower, the dude that has like the giant, I think he has a dragon's tooth. He does, yeah. He, I hated that guy. I, I was getting wrecked by him every time. So, like, I just ran past him for most of the game. But um, once you get down to that tower and beat the Black Knight down there, you can just use that as a base once you open up the gates to New Londo to run through the Valley of the Drakes. And uh, then after that, I just run past all the Dark Knights or whatever they're called. Yeah. And then. And then there's like six of them that you have to run past to get to the boss. And then you totally changed the dynamic for me. It was like, oh, I can drop down and then I have to run through, what, two? <laughs> Three, yeah. maybe? Yeah. Um, so it was totally different. But yeah, um, I, it's just so funny listening to your, your sorcery side of things. Because for me, with every single boss fight, I had to keep in my mind do not get greedy yes yes like do not feel like you're doing well especially when you're chipping away because that's the whole concept is like chip away run away chip away dodge chip away chip away chip away and then finally you'll get down to like one or two hits and you'll feel good and you'll feel like you're about to finish this boss off but like if you're not careful if you're not paying attention if you're not keeping your faculties around you they will turn and slash 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 and you're dead oh yeah and that happened to me so many freaking times with four kings i was so mad because just because the boss has only a tiny sliver of health doesn't mean that you should abandon strategy oh yeah you gotta keep your strategy oh yeah um but with with uh sorcery it seems like there's a lot less of that employed i guess is what i'm trying to say i and you know another um the some of the boss fights like they're stupidly vague like without the internet you will never reach your maximum potential for this game i'm just telling you now yeah i'm just telling you now no. you, you will not because like for seat the scaleless as a sorcerer you have to shoot off his tail to get the moonlight greatsword which scales with intelligence i mean you have to have a little bit of strength but like it scales with intelligence it's a great sword that like if you have maximum high intelligence you're just unstoppable you know not pvp because obviously everyone's unstoppable but like it changed the game changer but you can't do that without the internet it would never occur to you to try to go for a limb for anyone same with priscilla's tail in the um in the painted world ariamis you can cut her tail off it doesn't matter you will never think of that unless it happens on accident. Um, so yep, and that's that's part of this game that I I think we've mentioned before. But like the discovery, the word of mouth, like the back and forth with yeah. other people who have played this game is crucial. Yeah, and that that pops up in a lot of a lot of moments. Like to be honest, I don't think I would have made it through New Londo Ruins, which is a pretty easy area. But I wouldn't have made it through if I didn't know about. The transient curse yes. items. Yep. I just I just wouldn't have made it through. Yeah. But I had to look that up because I was like, I don't these ghosts I can't hit them. Yeah. And I had no clue what to do. Yeah. And so I had to Google it and from there it was like, Oh, I need this particular item, which the game doesn't tell you about. And again, it just doesn't explain these things to you. Yeah. Which is again, backing up a little bit is kind of like, oh yeah, you're on you're on the playground in recess and your friend kind of tells you, oh, you need to do this, this, that, and the other thing. And then you can 
go and face this boss and it's like oh so it's trying to capture that idea and it's in the internet era so like you have no excuse for not knowing because you have your phone in your pocket and you can google it but at the same time the game is not built to be played without the internet (laughs) in a lot of major areas to be perfectly honest which which is what it is yeah so um just a quick I would love to. I, I don't want to rush you. We can do whatever format you want to do here. I was going to say that. Um, th- I was. I was going to talk about the world here. But did you want to tell me? Because I, I want to know. I'm curious too. Like, what your favorite character and your favorite enemies and all that stuff. Like, tell me about some of your sure. favorites about this game. I, I'm so interested. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about it. Um, my favorite character, like NPC, are you talking about? Sure. I mean, the, the, the NPCs, like, they're unique and they're quirky, but you don't really get to know them a ton. So I feel like the obvious answer is Solaire. Yeah. Um, Solaire was what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Praise the Sun dude, he's good in, in uh, summons and whatnot. Obviously, he's pretty iconic. Um, a lot of these characters... So getting into, like, presentation and the story of this game... Mm-hmm. You need to research. Like, I would say Vati Vidya. That's spelled V-A-A-T-I-D-Y-A. He he jumps into the lore in ways that... And he presents it in ways on YouTube that are, like, so interesting and so much fun. Yeah. Watch a few of his videos and you will fall in love with the lore of this game in a way that you wouldn't have before. Um, but the game doesn't do that on its own. So I think there's just not like a Solaire, yeah. uh, Sigmire, all these NPCs, like their personality really comes to life through research, through delving deep into their backgrounds, not through the gameplay itself. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. Yeah, I I just wish there was more, not of Solaire specifically, but do you remember the guy you find in the depths, the merchant who's like, I Shimai, like that guy, do you remember him? I don't. See, that's the issue. He's a fantastic character. He's a merchant that allows you to buy crystal weapons and armor, but you never see him because at Firelink Shrine, he's he's hiding on that little aqueduct way in the back. You have to beat those Hmm. little baddies, jump across, which jumping is never explained, and also sliding sliding down a ladder is never explained. Okay, shoot shoot me in the face. Um, so you mentioned, you mentioned like, yeah, ladders suck in this game. Yeah. You, you mentioned, um, like when it's, when there's no tutorial and it's a barrier to entry to a certain area, like a crucial aspect of the game is not explained to you. That's what I kind of meant earlier when I was mentioning like learning via NPC. Like if you talk to an NPC that's outside of like Latrek, he's sitting on the ground before he kills the firekeeper. He's right next to the entrance to New Lundo. He should have been like, ah, going down to New Lundo, are you? I hope you have a couple of transient curses on you. And you, and then he says, oh, you don't know what I mean? Ha, 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 ha. And does the creepy laugh, which yeah. I love. That would have been yeah. perfect. That would have been perfect to explain what you yeah. were missing in New Lundo. But the game doesn't yeah. do that. That's not a tutorial. That's not holding your hand. That's just a lack of thought and preparation for some of this stuff. Um, so I so I show my that guy. He gives you some, some super cool stuff. The helm of the wise, like he's a dope dude, and he's hidden off to the left or whatever. Like it's just not it's not made full use of the NPCs. Sigmire, Catalina, and and um, 
Latrek a little bit, tiny bit, because you can invade him and then fix this firekeeper-ish situation if you beat him. He's very hard. And then also Solaire are like the only people, well, Big Hat Logan a little bit, but unless you're Sorcerer, you'd never see him. And like some of the NPCs, the way they go crazy and the way they attack you once you return to an area and whatever else, that's all like yeah. well and good, I suppose, for for some of it. But like far too many of them are like useless. For like, for but again, that's part of like the beauty of this game, Jerry. <sighs> that's part of like what I love about this game is like it doesn't explain any of that to you, and like you have to explore, you have to play this game multiple times to like get that, to glean that. It's like digging for treasure, and it pays off. Like it actually has a storyline to it, and yeah, you don't know it, and yeah, you have to Google it, but like. When you do and you actually see it, you're like, okay, that's that's kind of cool, yeah. and that happens with a lot of the NPCs throughout this whole thing. I guess so. I I, I can't disagree with you. I just wish there was more than just Solaire and Sigmire. Is what I'm saying. It's like those are really sure. the only two. I I just wish that like, well, Big Hat Logan's okay. I, I'm not I'm not a huge fan of his storyline as as like the primary sorcery storyline. He was tolerable, but like I just need more. I want more depth. <laughs> I want more crazy. I want more. More NPCs. Yeah. I want Maneater Mildred yeah, Sig- to have a backstory. Um, you know, Sigmire was cool. Yeah, he was because yes. he pops. He he's got the cool onion head, yep. and he pops up in a lot of different areas. Um, Big Hat, I I found him without googling it, so I thought that was nice. Like you have to let the boulder fall into the wall, and then he's sitting in a cage. But if you don't have the master key, which I did, so like that really helped me in my run through. Yeah, I was able to open his cage, and he showed up at firelink shrine but like yeah like all those little steps all of those little like moments of interaction you need to almost kind of know beforehand and that's where multiple runs come in yeah and understanding what's going on yeah um yeah so did you say a favorite character i wasn't sure if you actually mentioned yours yeah my as far as npcs yeah the, the, the I show my merchant was cool just because he was speaking in Celtic a little bit. I was like, oh, that's dope. You know, that's that's cool. Oswald of Kareem in the Bell Tower is creepy as all get out. He's such a well-written character. He's like, <laughs> he's got yeah. that horrible laugh. I love it. Yes. He's great. He's fantastic. Um, I, I was playing through. I had just beaten the gargoyles which yep. took me way longer. You said you beat them in one. Yeah, just because it's it took me like yeah. four or five times. Yeah. Um, but I got to the tower, I rang the bell, and I went down, and Karina was in the room. Actually, her sister was, too. And I talked to him, and he, like, laughs maniacally. Yep. And they were like, what in the world? Yeah, what was that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, they were like, was that him? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. I was like, this is this game. Like, And some of some of their best characters are hidden away. That's part of the issue. It's like, Va- uh, Vamos, the skeleton blacksmith, is a dopest character. He's like one of the coolest dudes. You'll never run into him. He's so hard Unless to find. Unless you've jumped down that black hole. Exactly. In the catacombs. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, and my goodness, don't even get me started on bone wheels. I just, um, the, the whole. I hated those yeah. two. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The, the whole. Again, um, I kind of, I, I tackled catacombs way too early. Sure. For what I was leveled to be. Yeah. So they were way harder than they needed to yep, be. Yep. But I pushed through anyway. But man, they, yeah, that valley was the worst. That's another thing as a sorcerer. You can't tackle an area that's too big for you because you have a limited amount of sorceries. Like, I can't just abandon mm. my sorcery and start hacking and slashing. It doesn't work like that. You, ha- you have to, like, it's my primary 
attack, so I have to have a certain amount of spells, and you run out, so you, you can't progress through difficult areas. You have to play the game its way it's designed. So it's a little bit more limited in that sense. But, um, but yeah, no, I just wish there was more NPCs to choose from. I feel like I have a very limited list that's like Solaire and Sigmire. That's about it. So, you know, just, just yeah. more. Solaire's fun, though. He's a meme. Who? Easy to pick. Solaire. Yeah, right, exactly. So going against that, though, who was your favorite boss? Yeah. Um, as far as character and gameplay is concerned. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this to, like, deviate just a tiny bit because I do want to talk about the world a little bit. But the music in this game is so excellently weaponized and used. Yeah. Perfect uses of silence and amazing uses of music. And the music in the Ornstein and Smo fight is to die for. It's so well done. Oh, my goodness. That's that's a fantastic boss fight and a cutscene before a boss fight. Ugh. They're an easy favorite, especially because it's a hard fight for one, and you're just grinding away against these two, and you're hopefully using Solaire until you run out of humanity, you know. And uh, the Moonlight Butterfly fight is beautiful. It's it's very, like, a great introduction to boss fights. It's very easy, but it's, like, just melodic and, like, horrible. Like, you feel bad killing this thing. It's that, a haunting beauty. Yes, yeah. that's a great one. I would have to, in the Priscilla fight in uh, Painted World of Ariamis, if you choose to kill her, she gives you the option not to, is a miserable fight. You just feel grief. <laughs> um, I, so From what I understand, Priscilla is like the waifu of this game. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, uh, Guinevere, the Lord Vessel girl, is <laughs> an obvious choice. Um, favorite, favorite boss for me was Seath the Scalus. Because he has an actual in-depth backstory. Like, he's included in that opening cutscene. He betrays the ancient dragons at the beginning. He's got these weird tentacles thing. It's such a unique concept art for a dragon. And then he's got, like, such a... For a sorcerer, like, the perfect matchup for a sorcerer. He was probably the most fulfilling boss fight, to be honest. Which is fitting, right? And then his whole crystal cave thing, trying to navigate that. Like, it's a really fulfilling run-through. And the first time you encounter him, he... Is supposed to kill you. Yeah. Oh, he wrecks you, dude. Oh, he wrecks you and then locks you away. It's a his storyline is really. Do I would probably say he's my favorite boss fight. Um, just just very enjoyable. Um, yeah. And then favorite enemy as far as like just the grind, I guess. Probably the Black Knights that you uh, like find every once in a while, hidden around corners and Havel and the. uh, the first Black Knight in Undead Burg, his back is towards you, so you sneak up on him and then he just wrecks you. That's a good time. Um, they always test you. Oh, dude, it's great, the way that they do that. So the Black Knight's probably my favorite. When I encountered a Black Knight around a corner and here he comes charging at me, I'm like, oh, good gravy. <laughs> so Yep, and you need to know the game. Like, if yeah. you're not good at the game, it will check you. Yeah. It's a check. You'll just walk right up on one and he'll wreck you. So, yeah, it's good times. What was your, so in that spirit, what was your least favorite encounter? The mosquitoes. Just because my sorcery, <laughs> yeah, my sorcery That's didn't fair. touch them. It's ridiculous. I'm like having to whip at mosquitoes with like a dagger or something, which means I have to wait for the five or six of them to respond and slowly fly over to me. Because if I don't, I'll just get swarmed, and that's, I mean, I don't know, it's mosquitoes, they swarm, right? But, like, just the way they respawn is stupid. So I, I just hated yeah. that. It, because my sorcery didn't work. And another thing, too, like, against sorcery is that, like, your sorcery, the distance you can shoot your sorcery doesn't matter. With dexterity or strength or whatever, you can actually increase the distance you shoot a bow. You can't do that with magic. I'm not sure why those aren't parallel, mm-hmm. but, like, that's another thing, whatever. 
So, like, that was... The mosquitoes only for that reason. Every other enemy was, like, more fun to deal with and whatever else. But the mosquitoes were stupid because I can't lock onto them, which makes my sorcery useless, which forces me to use a weapon, which I'm already feeling, like, trolled because my sorcery doesn't work, you know, on some other things as well. So that was definitely my least favorite. But, but yeah. How about you? I would say, like, to answer the couple last couple questions we've mentioned... My favorite boss was actually the um, I, its name is escaping me. The gaping, the gaping demon, dragon. I think yeah, down in the depths. Dragon. Yeah. He wasn't hard, but like his intro and the size, dude, like set the tone for me oh, in a yeah. way that I was like, "Oh crap, this is awesome!" So, like that was when I like fell in love with this game. I to remember be watching you play Dark Souls in college, actually. You played, really? yes, I remember watching you play against, you were actually in the depths, and you were playing Dark Souls, and you were trying to beat that stupid big rat. I remember, I hated I remember yeah. watching you struggle. I was like, what the heck is this game? Like, I remember, that was, that was good times. That is so funny. Yeah. Um, that you mentioned that, because, yeah, the depths was like a whole new, I, it, like, that's the thing about this game, is like, it challenges you. Like, you feel like you've got a grip on one side of it and then it's like nope you don't and like <laughs> you you've got to continue to adapt so like yeah the depths is another um check it's a check of balance you know yeah um and then the demon at the end i think i beat it on like my first or second time the first time i played it but it was like so cool just like seeing it emerge and it's this giant thing i feel like that's like the design of dark souls to its perfection and it's not a hard boss fight. I was able to beat it fairly easily, but like it's it's fun. Yeah. Um. So like that'd be my favorite boss fight. Um. Least favorite encounter for me was I think it's Havel, but like the dude that has the dragon tooth at the bottom of the tower in yeah. Undeadburg that leads to Darkroot Basin. Yeah, that's um, that's Havel. He's uh he is your key to excellence as a tank build if you're going strength. He's, yeah, he's a boss. And, yeah, and I just ran past him for most of the game until towards the end I, like, came back and was like, okay, I can can take this guy now. So the dream, it's funny that you say that, the dream of a strength build is getting to the point where you can wield a dragon's tooth uh, effectively because if you can do that, um, you can actually kill Ornstein and Smo each, like, before they level up and double in HP and stuff. You can, if you have Solaire, he'll distract both of them. You can actually smack them and kill them in about four hits. It's it gets nuts. Wow. Oh yeah, if if you're a strength build, by the time you get up to that point and you leveled sufficiently up to that point, and your strength is way up there in like the forties and stuff, you can wreck those dudes in a couple hits with a dragon's tooth, dude. It's the most satisfying feeling. You're just thunk and double thunk. It's good stuff. That's very interesting. Do we want to talk about? the the world a bit here because i feel like we have yeah. absolutely not touched on it and in my mind the world i mean we've talked about the demons and the enemies and everything and they're all beautiful but like the map and the world and the lore for this game is uh, uh for forgive me but like just as breathtaking uh as skyrim as breath of the wild but in a totally different way it's top tier dude um, we can talk about presentation and design, but like the world specifically, um, the variety in, I guess they're called areas. Yep. I don't know what you call it, but like the biomes is 
enjoyable. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Like every time you're like, okay, this is something totally new, but it's connected in a way that makes sense yeah. and is interesting. And the more that you know about the story, the more that it makes sense as well. Um, but like everything is different. Like the, the dark root garden is like, a twilight beauty mm-hmm. and it's haunting in its own way. And then you also have like an Orlando, which is like the capital city. And it's got like this haunting Gothic beauty. And then against that, you have blight town, which is disgusting and yeah, poisonous yeah. and green. And like everything is so juxtaposed against. And then of course, the further you delve deeper, it's like demon ruins is fire and new Londo ruins is tragic and haunting. And like every single area is so interesting and so much fun. And the world design, I feel like is where the, the developers really had just like a ton of fun, just going to town, which is each of these different areas. Yeah. I, the, the whole, and the fact that you can see, other areas from other areas of the game like you can look up as you're traveling through undeadburg and see the bridge you're about to cross but you don't know that right away you know what i mean you can look from undeadburg down to lower undeadburg you can look when you're going to fight gravelord nido in the tomb of the giants there's a ledge that looks over ash lake which is hidden beneath blight town beneath the whole world right um and you can see Ash Lake off to your left. It's gorgeous. Oh my goodness! That like yeah. milky, um, like cloudy tree support. You know, it, nuts. Like such creativity. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, you can look up in Undead Berg and see the walls of An Orlando, and like yeah, every area like feels like you're looking out. It's such an interconnected world with so much of variety that like you you feel like you're in it. Like oh yeah. In a way that very few games really accomplish. And from that standpoint, that's a huge strength of this game, for sure. They flow so naturally to each other. Like, New Lundo walks right on onto Valley of the Drakes, which is on the same level as Blight Town is. Which, you know, it just flows so naturally. It's the best part of this game. Tons of scale. Oh, yeah. Which, which leads me to just one small gripe. One small gripe. You can't actually look directly up with your camera. I don't know if that's a remastered thing. Maybe not. I don't know. Hmm. But like the highest angle up you can look at is 45 degrees. Now, most of the time I'd suggest like, oh, well, that's fine. It's it's not. It's not fine. You're, you're severely limiting the ability of your player to enjoy a 360 degree aspect of your game when you don't allow that. And so there's a number of Blight Town. I wanted I literally for Blight Town. I wanted to be on the swamp and look up and just see what I could see, and and plot my course up the the ladders and the whatever else. And I couldn't do it. It wouldn't let me. It's like no, no, no. You can only look up forty five degrees. Haha, what a loser. Um, and that was that was kind of frustrating for me at times. Uh, I was just like, you're just limiting it. Like you're limiting how I'm able to enjoy this game with a dumb camera angle. I don't like it. I don't know why that's like that. Like any other game, you can spam your camera and like you know, twist it around until you get yourself motion sick. But, like, you can't do that. I, I don't know what it was, but, like, that annoyed me a little bit. Um, but, anyway, that's all I'll say about that. The world is is mind-bogglingly natural and creative and creepy in such a good way. What did you think of the interconnectivity? Dude, it's the best. I, I really don't feel like it's excessive. Like, you feel so accomplished when you finally take that elevator down from Ended Parish back down to Firelink. You're like, dang, I did that, bro. 
I battled my way all the way through, um, and now I can get to Andre the Blacksmith pretty easily, uh, which leads me to Sen's Fortress and then to Ana Orlando. And the fact that you have to go back through the undead parish to get to Sen's Fortress because it's an area you can't quite get to yet. Um, the way it's designed, how things are unlocked. Like, I don't like the master key because I feel like the game's natural path is excellent. And I also don't like the fact that people mm. can speed run it in 34 minutes. That bothers me. Um, because it's like... Really? That quick? My oh, it's goodness. actually less than that. It's just that the one video I remember, the guy beat it in less than 34 minutes. Uh, but it's actually less than that. I think it's sub-30, um, depending on what category you're in. If you're in the category that allows glitches and, and illegal warping, you can actually, I think it's get 19 minutes is the record right now. It's like 19 minutes My and goodness. 20 seconds. Yeah, but it, 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 it forces you to glitch a certain way, so... is one major complaint I have with this game is the um, board vessel and the fact that you cannot warp until you have that that was a huge complaint for me Okay. I don't know if that bothered you at all but like once you unlock that it becomes so crucial it's like okay yeah now I can warp to this whole area and not worry about the traversal between the two areas yeah between the two bonfires, which other future Dark Souls games w- fix. They they get rid of that entirely. Like, you don't have to... Because you play the first two battles and, like, the first six or seven areas without having an option to, like, warp from your bonfire to a totally different area. Yeah. It's all traversal. It's all just running. I actually, and that sucked in a lot of. So I can understand I that, but coming from someone who thinks that the warping in Skyrim takes away from the game, I'm actually at the contrary point mm. because I, I actually really like that they limited warping up until the point where you really earned it. Like, okay, you're committed to this game. All right, my guy, I'm gonna toss you the Lord Vessel. You can warp a little bit. Etc. It does feel earned. I would agree. Yes. So that that's one aspect of it, and I do love the traversal. It's like, man, I'm stuck. I really actually have to like fight my way backwards to get the fire length and try to reset and rethink some things, etc. I actually really like that the fact that you can't warp immediately. What I don't like is that if you're going to give me the ability to warp, let me warp to all of my bonfires, not just some of them, all of them. Stop it. Don't don't do that. Don't like yeah. give me half of my candy bar. I can see you holding the other half. Don't do that. Which, again, other Souls games fix. Like, in yeah. Bloodborne, and I think even in Dark Souls 2, you can warp to each specific bonfire. Whereas, in this one, it's like, oh, you go to the chamber of the princess, and you're like, what even is that bonfire? And you have to yeah, figure out what that so, is, and where it is, and everything. It's so unnatural, isn't it? It's just sitting there on the floor, in the middle of a otherwise immaculate cathedral hall. Like, it, it doesn't... It makes more sense to put it at the end of the Ornstein and Smo hall. Like... And, like, let's say yeah. you you beat that fight. And I think, too, like, the fact that a sword is sticking out of a little bonfire, like, that's really cool how the flames, like, lick and, like, touch at the, the tendrils of the sword. That's dope. 
But what would be really cool is if you, every time you found a bonfire, stabbed the bonfire yourself. And can you imagine the satisfaction mm. you'd feel if you beat Ornstein and Smo, went over to Smo's body, and picked up his spear and stabbed it in the bonfire to create a unique bonfire? Like these are the things that, that would I would be cool. These are the things that I think about that like would do two things: make the game more natural and just add a little level of hype. And it's just like I don't know. Like <sighs> I, I guess that's being nitpicky. But like again, there. The Lord Vessel warping from the fire right outside the, the, the princess chambers is, like, a little underwhelming, I guess, because, like, every other yeah. bonfire, like, Firelink Bonfire has the little mini amphitheater. Like, it's got raised steps that people are, like, you know, the Crestfallen Warriors sitting on. And, and like, the, the first bonfire in Orlando has that NPC that's guarding it that actually can talk to you. Like, that's a cool touch, right? And then some of the other bonfires are just kind of there. They're just, I don't know, a little underwhelming. Um... Yeah, but that being said, like the bonfires act as really crucial checkpoints between what I would consider a very unique setting, and each area is packed with its own lore and reason for being. Yeah, um, but like no map. I love that there's no map. I love. Yeah, that. that's what I'm saying. Like each, you get to know these places yes. because there's not a map. Oh yeah, like it's like pre GPS, like the '90s. Dude. You know, like yeah. you need to know each turn. You need to know what's around each corner, and you <laughs> learn that. Like you're not told it. You're, you don't have a map that's pointing everything out to you. You just get to know what the sites are. Yeah, and I think that's tons of fun. I I agree with you too. Um, for that, it, the map for sure is a difficulty level for this game that is perfect. Like, I love the fact that you don't have a map, and I love the fact that you have to earn the Lord Vessel. Um, I don't have any complaints that you don't have a mini-map. That's great. I would just say, like, rewarding exploration works kind of to an extent if you're playing the normal way. Like, you you beat enemies, and they drop weapons, and that's fun. Like, that's, that's pretty great. But two, like, turning a corner or taking a left when you should have taken a right because you want to explore some more... And the weapons you find and all this stuff. The exploration is great. It's just imbalanced a little bit. Like as someone who can't use a heavy greatsword, it's like, oh, I fought through all mm. those baddies just to get a weapon I can't use. Uh, it's a little lame. You know, wh- whatever else. You know, it's, it's fine. I guess I, I just, um, as far as exploration goes, though, this game is so rewarding. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. I, I love that about this game for sure. Yeah, it captures the soul of the Metroidvania idea. Yeah. In a 3D setting, that is a ton of fun. Yeah. So I, I appreciate that for that for that reason. Um, that being said, every area also makes you kind of wonder why it's there and what its backstory yes. is. Like you're like kind of like, yes, this is a lived world. What is like New Londo versus Anor Londo? Like you begin to question that, you know? Yeah. And it makes you curious about the extent of the game. Speaking along those lines, Jared, what is your favorite area? So, uh, my favorite area, the Crystal Cave is really cool. And as a sorcerer, like, that was the culmination of everything I'd worked for. Like, it wasn't actually Gwyn. Like, Gwyn to Lord of Cinder to beat the game, yes, finally, whatever else. But, like, Seed the Scaleless and that whole storyline and beating that immortal dragon who's, like, fake immortal and, like, the Crystal Cave, like, that. The Duke's Archives, like, I love that. That was so rewarding for me as a sorcerer. So, like, that, that was for sure my favorite. Outside of don't that, don't the Crystal Knights kind of resist you as a sorcerer, or no? I don't. I didn't play as a sorcerer, so I don't know. No, I'm not sure. I mean, no. I mean, you can. 
they do resist a little bit, but at the same time, you know, there's as you just kind of get used to spamming people. That's one of the downsides. It's like you just start to get in the loop and you learn how to spam and how many hits it takes before they die, and then you equip yourself accordingly. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like I, it wasn't it wasn't that big of a deal. I do see your point, but it wasn't that big of a deal. Plus, this crystal golems are easy to speed run past. Like there's some areas you could speed run past, and some you cannot. Like New Lundo, once you unlock lower New Lundo ruins, you can speed run to the boss pretty easily, right? Using a shortcut. Sense Fortress, you cannot right. do that. You cannot speed run Sense Fortress because you have to wait on some of the rolling boulders, etc. Some guys are literally blocking the path. So there's certain things you could speed run and some you can't. Um, my favorite area was definitely the Duke's Archives and then the Crystal Cave and the whole seat, the scaleless thing. That was for sure a lot of fun. I felt a couple areas were disappointing. One... Lost Isolith, it's kind of lame. bland and lame. Yes. It's like yeah, it's like the I'd agree with fire that. version of New Lendo, but they could have done so much more with it. Um, yeah, and most of the, like, until you get to that point where you're running to the, I don't know, like, temple or whatever yeah. it is, like, you're just running past a bunch of giant half-dragons and... They don't attack you if you don't attack them. Right, right. It's a little. And then bland. even after that, you just get to that spot where there's a bunch of stone dragons, and you can just like, yeah, avoid them or attack them briefly. But like, they're not much of a threat. Yeah, yeah. It's, like it's it like Lost Isolith is is about the boss fight, and that's it. Yeah, and unfortunately, I, I actually really like that boss fight. I know a lot of people find it spammy and annoying, but I was like, there's something I'm missing here. Like I'm doing, I don't see any weaknesses, and normally at this point, like. I'm supposed to, like, know what I'm doing. And then when I finally figured it out, I was like, oh, this is like an obstacle course. This is a refresher from most boss fights. I like that. Yeah. Um, And then the other... I hated it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Totally. I can see both sides of that one. Um, And then the other Ash Lake, which is hidden in that stupid great tree on the left side of Blight Town. (laughs) And then... But the cool thing, the really dope thing about Ash Lake, you have the giant clams, which are, like cool looking they're creepy as all get out they're so freaky and they have skulls for pearls it's like really cool and then you have another hydra fight the hydra fights were so disappointing they're so like glitchy looking they don't look good yeah they're they're just they're so 2011 it does not look good at all um yeah when you face that first hydra in dark root basin and you realize like you can 100 percent cheese this thing yeah it's it's totally diminished in your eyes yeah it's very spammy i do not like that um but, and two, like, the Hydra, you can't even go up to it and get up close and hack and slash. You'll drop off the edge, which I thought was dumb. But, um, uh, no, Ash Lake is really dope, and they should have done more with it. It's a very blank canvas. Um, it's a, a lot of traversal. Same issues you're going to have with Lost Isolith. Uh, but that is where Sigmire of Catalina's story ends, down there. That's really fun. And then, um, two you find the last remaining ancient dragon down there. That was a really cool yeah. moment. That was a dope moment. And then that, yeah. that leads me just briefly, we didn't mention in gameplay, I should have covenants. First of all, there's too many covenants that don't do anything good. It's stupid. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's stupid. And they don't explain, again, part of the problem with this game is like they don't explain anything. It's such a waste of time. The old witch's covenant, whatever else, that allows you to skip past the demon fire sage and open up the shortcut cut only after you spend 30 humanities. There's nothing for rank three of that covenant. 
You know how frustrating that is? There's nothing for rank three of that covenant. You just grinded your whole, you're a friggin' farmer wearing a straw hat and a grain of wheat out of your mouth because of how much you farm this game. And rank three <laughs> of this covenant gets you nothing. The shortcut opens oh at rank two and you get a chance to save Solera, which is fine. That's fine. But rank three gives you nothing. Gives you nothing. What's what's the point? What's the point? Don't do that to me. That's where that see, that's another reason why I was like, this game is trolling me. You know, screw you, Miyazaki. <laughs> but and, you know, and the old witch's ring again only gives you the ability to talk to her, but it doesn't change anything because you can still do all of the functions you can. It's just that she gives you a question mark and saves you ten seconds of dialogue, which is actually a bonus. Like, oh my goodness. Yeah, covenants, too many of them. Too many of them. It, it, and losing half of the rewards of joining a covenant to join another covenant when it's just not no. even clear that there's that much of a benefit to it. It's like, my goodness. All of them should be at the quality of Solaire's covenant or or nothing. Like, that's they all should be that quality or nothing. They should all have equivalent rewards or nothing. The fact that you have multiple PvP covenants showed that they lean a lot heavily on the online play, but it's too glitchy. Yeah. So it's not a, enjoyable. And then, like, the Dark Moon Covenant is great. So is the um, uh, the Alvina the Cat, whatever that one is. That one's great. But Solaire's is even better because you get better miracles and the sunlight, uh, the lightning rod thing. Like, that's super dope. Like, But all of them should be that quality. If it's not that quality, stop it. Yep. Yeah, I agree that the Covenants yeah. are kind of garbage yeah. in this game. Like, I didn't worry about it at all until I went and got the dragon covenant and at that point i didn't do anything else after that yeah and i still beat the game and i was still fine and i didn't know anything about covenants and they're kind of worthless yeah like i hate to use that word but they're they're pretty worthless yeah. in this game unless you're playing online okay so jumping into to wrap up world design um i did want to say like I, I appreciate that like at the start of this game you can find yourself in a place where you shouldn't be. Yes, I did like that. Pretty yes. quickly. Yeah. And I thought that was cool. Yep. Like it, it repels you, and it's like, nope. Like the catacombs, New Londo, even the Valley of the Drakes in some way, it's like, yeah. don't be here. Yeah. <laughs> like, go tackle other parts of the game and then come back. Yeah. And I thought that was that was a ton of fun. Okay, Um. last conversation here i guess i don't know if it's the last one maybe maybe i'm wrong about this but um what did you think of the story jared dude i love the story Were you able to connect with it at all yeah abs dude absolutely the, the the juxtaposition of like the soul of death being grave lord nito which i mean it grave lord nito's whole like facing off pinwheel and then suggestions of like witchcraft i love that i love that i just wish they did a little bit more with it you know what i mean um, and then uh, the bed of chaos, this witch that had turned her sons and daughters into um, monsters. Like, I loved that. Yeah. And then Gwyn, Lord of Cinder. Tragic. It, tragic, yes. I kind of wish that, like, they had all been put on equal footing instead of Gwyn being the end-all be-all because that's not what the opening cutscene made it seem like, right? Like, it made it seem like sure. the furtive pygmy, the Nido the Witch of Isolith and Gwyn were all on the same par. But it didn't end up that way in gameplay. So it's like, it, it was a little, like, Seath and the Four Kings were, were subbed in as, like, lesser bosses, but on the same level as Nido and the Witch of Isolith. So I didn't really care for that. 
But, like, the lore is great, dude. You're talking about aspects of humanity, obviously analogous to, like, you know, the fury of nature being Witch Isleth and when it goes wrong. And, like, Gwyn, Lord of Cinder, like, commanding his armies and, like, the, the nature of authority. And then Nido being the, the, final, the finality of death and disease and decay, right? And then human beings being, like, parasites that just multiply and they, they don't die. They're pygmies in the eyes of the gods. They're smaller, physically smaller. Like, how many times did you face a boss and it was much bigger than you? You know what I mean? Like, like right. that kind of a thing. And dragons being, like, the protagonists and kind of, like, the eternal nature that was the thing before the thing. And I, I love that. I love the lore. I, I obviously just want more of it. And I want closer tie-ins to the story and whatever else. But I, I loved all of that. I thought it was fantastic. I, the way that they portrayed... Was that... Sorry, go ahead and finish. No, just thought. the way they portrayed humans in that mix, you know? The human being weak and frail but has infinite chances because of the dark sign. You know what I mean? Um, like, I love that. I love that portrayal of humanity. My My question was, was that, like, a product of you googling it <laughs> or part of the actual traversal of the story like that you fell in love with sure the, actually all of what i just said comes from my appreciation of the opening cutscene. actually like the sense okay. the sense that i get from that opening cutscene was enough to power everything i just said so I, I, I looked up the lore, like kind of the, the YouTuber that you mentioned. I'm pretty sure I've seen some of his videos as well. But that's not really what I was drawing from. Because, like, he starts to get into some things like Solaire is secretly the son of Gwyn. And Priscilla is actually the uh, bestiality child ooh, excuse me, of Seath the Scaleless and Guinevere. But Guinevere is an illusion created by Gwendolyn, so I don't know how that's a thing. But whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, so, like, all of the extra lore, I'm not really touching. But just the opening cutscene. Mm. The way that they portray that, like, you know, that whole world that they're about to create for you. I loved all of that. I soak that stuff up. I love story. You know, that's that's yeah. my favorite thing for sure. Yeah, I would say, like, you're kind of left to mm-hmm. build your own story. Yeah. In a lot of little ways. Like, you're fighting for your life from bonfire to bonfire and you are given bits and pieces and you're supposed to kind of piece it together. And if you don't take the time to Google it and get a feel for what all these characters are doing, it's vague. Yeah. But the more that, you know, the more that you kind of pay attention and listen to the NPC dialogue and listen to like the conversations with Frampt, um, which I'm curious how you feel about King Sinker Frampt. You you get a better feel for it, and and it's especially by the time they ring the second bell, like I got a better understanding of the story, just got a better grapple on what was going on. Yeah, but most I can say is kind of like there is a story. <laughs> um, it's there, but you have to seek it out. Yeah, but at the same time, as you're playing through it, like these worlds are rife with interesting ideas. Every area, like we talked about before you're interested in and like, Oh, what's going on in new Londo ruins? Like, why is it underwater? Why are there a bunch of hollows that are like worshiping it? I don't know if they're worshiping, but like they've, they very much are like pleading toward it. And you're kind of like, what's going on here. And then you go down to blight town. You're like, why is there a bunch of nasty creatures down here in the swamp? And why is Quelag coming out of the corner? Cause like when you first go into blight town, I thought like, 
Okay, at the end of the swamp, there's going to be some nasty, disgusting poop creature. Sure. <laughs> but then it's like, no. Instead, there's this spider-like um, chaos witch, and you're fighting that with fire. And you're like, okay, how did that come about? Right. And so it, it piques your curiosity, and you're trying to figure out all the pieces. Um, but it, it's kind of like... It's kind of like watching a, a PCC play, but missing the entire first act. <laughs> <laughs> like, you get that first cutscene, and yeah, if you can connect with that, that's great. But, like, if you forgot that... That's it. And you're at hour 10, and you don't remember what it's all connecting to... Yeah. It all can kind of fly over your head, and you're just kind of making your way with no purpose. Yeah. And so, from that side of things, I don't know. Everything is a little crazy. Every NPC you interact with is a little insane, yeah. and they're laughing maniacally. And I love that. Um, yeah. And the world is very messed up. But like, if you take the time to learn it, it's very interesting. It's a ton of fun. Yeah. And from the story perspective, it totally pays off. Like at the end, like I knew what was going on for the most part, and I was invested. Yeah. Um, but it kind of, it took a while. To get to that sure. point. And, the, and two, I'll reiterate a point I made earlier. The music they play while you're facing Lord Gwyn is beautiful. It's like so melancholy. Oh, yeah. And again, use of music for each boss is incredible. It's such a good thing. I think um, your comment about King Frampt, he falls under my playability issues with the game because you can't feed him items writ large. Like you can't select all and just feed and just get a bunch of souls. You have to do it individually. And he makes that nasty gagging sound. <laughs> it's just unnecessary. Yeah. It just falls under like just bad design. Um, and then two, like ninety percent of the time, it no probably more than that. Ninety five percent of the time, because of the way the game is laid out, the fact that you're not even gonna try to do new Lundo ruins because you don't need to until you get the the Lord vessel right. Like unless you force your way through there and try to do that area and get yeah. and beat Sif the dog who. For the most part, you have to pay to get to his area anyway. So because you have to pay to get through that door, it seems like an optional area. And because you have to because it seems like an optional area, you don't think about it. So like you're going back and forth. So the chances that you're gonna do the four kings boss before you meet or before you place the Lord Vessel are very, very slim. We're talking about like one in fifteen playthroughs is someone gonna do that. So the fact that your option to put out or to hide the eternal fire, the eternal cinder, it's not an option for finishing the game. Um, Because you have to talk to Darkstalker Kath, who is like King Sycophramp's other like evil twin or whatever, and his covenant's actually boss. That's besides the point. His covenant and Solaire's covenant are the only two worth joining. Anyway, besides the point. Um, the, the, the Darkstalker Calf will offer you and give you the other side of the lore from his perspective and says, actually, what you should do is hide away the daggum internal flame because it's caused us nothing but grief. You don't get that side of the yeah. story unless you do a set of very specific set of preconditions, which is where the, the lore and some of the tutorial and some of the bad design just get in the way of the richness of the game. I don't have a problem with you making a difficult game. I have a problem with you getting your own way when I'm trying to enjoy the fullness of your game, if that makes sense. So... Yeah. Those, those are really the, the only comments, and that's really my only thoughts about King Seeker Framp. But but yeah, so again, barrier to entry for sure. Yeah, and and you can go on YouTube. Um, the the individual that I had mentioned, Jared, is Vati Vidya. 
He's good. I like his stuff. He breaks this down. Yeah. Like the story, what's happening with each of these characters from Sigmire, Solaris to, or to Solaire, sorry, um, to um, Nito. Every single character he breaks down and makes into this interesting figure, this tragic figure. And the world itself is kind of depressing yes. in a lot of ways. Yes. Like once you realize what your role is in this world. Yeah. It totally changes the dynamics of what you're doing um, because you're just playing a video game, right? Right. But there's a lot going on here, and I I appreciate that. I love that about this game. Like you are obviously entering a world that is steeped in history. Quite honestly, that will kind of take like a high school education to even understand in the first place. Sure. But like once you get past that, like you understand what's happening, and the lore is so thick. Like, there's a lot going on here that, like, from Seath to Gwyn to even to Quelag and the Daughters of Chaos and how everything plays out in the Demon Ruins, yeah. like, there is a tragic story there, and the whole world is very tragic, and it's very dark. You know, Dark Souls is the name, but, like, you don't understand, like, how all of these fates have played out until you really delve deep into it. If you listen to Vati video, he explains all this, but like the story is there. It's beautiful. It's powerful. And you can get a sense of that when you're playing through, but it doesn't force any of it on you. And you can kind of totally miss all of that yeah. if you're not interested. And that's to be honest, kind of a flaw because it's a powerful story. Yeah. Um, and again, it doesn't, it doesn't force itself, which some people might appreciate. Uh, but for me, it's like, man, I, I wouldn't have known if I didn't look at the wiki on that particular situation, on that particular point. For sure. Um, So on that front, again, another kind of weakness in the Dark Souls armor. What did you think of the uh, design, of the visuals of the game? Uh, I loved all of that. I loved what they were trying to do. I mean, it's based in 2011. I don't have standards that are too high for it, I, I don't believe. I, I loved everything that they decided to do, how they designed the characters, how they designed the world especially. All of that, I have no gripes with that at all. Those are... Very original. Yeah, all, all, all stuff original. I never would have thought of any of this stuff. Every enemy. I mean, Zombos is one thing. Like, right, you know, Undead, that kind of looks a certain way. But I'm talking about, like, Blighttown specifically, the depths... Uh, the way poison and toxins work and like the originality and the, the environmental hazards, all that unique stuff is brilliant. It's so well laid out. And I'll say like when you first jump into this game, it definitely feels like a 2011 game. Yeah. At first, yeah. like you kind of like adjust to it and to the cadence of it and everything. But like it feels chunky, yep. you know, the presentation is kind of goofy. Skyrimy for sure. Oh yeah. Um, and even with the remaster, like it's definitely an older game. Yeah, for like, sure. The textures are nicer, and there's less of, um, from what I understand, especially Blight Town suffered from frame rate issues. Yeah, and you, you know they they fix all of that, but like I could see a facelift all the way up to what Demon Souls did with the PlayStation Five yeah. as like a huge benefit for this game. Yeah, but at the same time, despite the fact that like maybe the technical side of things aren't the best. The visuals, the character, the creature design mm-hmm. is masterclass. Absolutely. Like, there is so much imagination packed into this game, which each enemy that you come across with, each enemy um, boss and whatnot, like, it is, it, it, it's having fun 
with the ideas of fantasy yep. and and carrying them out to really cool degrees. Um, it's also garbage in handheld mode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, part of that is definitely the lower quality in the 720 uh, in the handheld mode. So I can't even disagree with you right there. You're totally right. Poppin is bad in this game. Like there were special, there was specific moments towards the end of the game. Like when I was in New Londo and I was going into that church right before you go to the Four Kings. If I backed up, I couldn't even see the Dark Wraith Knights. Oh yeah, like they would just disappear. Yep. It was just like yeah, they were there one second and the second the next second they weren't yeah. there. You gotta like, you gotta ignore okay. you gotta ignore the recommended brightness for this game and turn it all the way up. And then you have to go to your console settings and turn the brightness all the way up. There's no other way to play this game. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely an older game. Yeah. So from that side of things, just keep that in mind. Um, the the ragdoll effect really disturbed my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Because you kill an enemy and then you can just like run across it and it like sometimes will like drag along with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And that made me laugh, but like she always was like, "Oh, I don't like that." You're walking <laughs> with a spider attached to your waist is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So just small things to keep in mind. Like it is an older game. If you try to tackle it, like after listening to this whole conversation, like it's up to you whether or not you want to actually jump into this game, but like recognize that some of its mechanics have just aged, Yeah, you know, right. Like things have been smoothed out. Things have gotten better in recent years and this game doesn't benefit from any of those. So keep all that in mind for sure. Um, Jared, you mentioned at the start of this and I'm, I'm ready to jump into it. How has this game destroyed your relationships? Um, it has been, uh, well, well, it's one, it's addicting. You you can't think of, I have a full-time job (laughs) and I have a master's degree to work on and I have a girlfriend to keep happy and then recognize like the number that took me to beat this game was 80 hours plus some extra to play a different build. Um, and not think, realize that it definitely put some strain on some things. (laughs) Um, yeah, I would just say some tension, you know, like, you're playing this game again babe come to bed it's ridiculous it's 4 a.m so how did lucy <laughs> respond to the whole thing um you know just just frustration <laughs> and a lot of times too i'd get so mad at the game it would put me in a bad mood and then she'd be like what's wrong with you and i'd be like look i'm ticked because of dark souls okay please leave me alone <laughs> so um yeah there was a lot a lot of uh staying up late at night that was annoying and Lots of uh, putting in a bad mood <laughs> that wrecked some dialogue. So, yeah, just put a strain on it. Gotta warn you guys, for sure. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Karina could certainly attest to some of that, too. Like, especially after I was, like, facing, like, again, the Four Kings comes to my mind. And I was just, like, fighting yes. this boss. Yep over and over and i was done like i was like screw the rest of life like i am going to (laughs) like eat six cheeseburgers and then just collapse in a fit of carb rage and just fall asleep and be mad and then wake up in the morning and try it again yes and so like that's that's a part of this this whole whole experience. experience yeah as far as final gripes are concerned 
there's a lot of backtracking that may need to happen and there's a lot of just looking up information that you need to do and if you don't do that you're done like you're not gonna be able to finish this game yeah and that is a detriment some people see it as a positive because it's like oh yeah it weeds out you know the wheat from the chaff yeah but that's just um, gatekeeping I, that's just arrogance i don't like it that is attitude gatekeeping. yeah yeah, yeah, and and I I could totally see that point for yeah. sure. I think any other final gripes that you want no, to no, I would to? just no. I've actually you've been really patient with me laying out all of mine. I don't have any more. My notes are empty. Um, but I will say that like you do bring up a good point that like needing to look online for things is going to help you not waste as much time. So I would suggest totally. that like you know. That, you know, pick a build. You're going to have access to all of them. Like, if you, if you really just wanted to level up just your vitality while you figure out what you wanted to do, like, I guess you could do that. Um, you kind of want to get a head start on some kind of a build before you do that, though. You know what I mean? But I would just say, like, look up, pick a few classes, do a tiny bit of research before you play the game, pick a play style, and then Google things from the perspective of that play style. If you want to play a pure pyromancy, you're going to want to find your way to Ingi down in the bed of chaos uh, no, sorry, the Demon Ruins and buy his Great Combustion Spell. Like, you know what I mean? Like, things like that. You're going to want to look up a specific play style and stick to it, or else you'll waste a lot of time. So uh, I don't have a problem yeah. with you exploring, obviously. I mean, play the game however you want. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying, like, the reason I'd recommend looking up stuff up is because you waste time otherwise. So, yeah. How did you feel about the game's artificial difficulty? The enemies behind walls that you obviously were going to die to, the learning curve in the combat, the uh, loss of life to the um, bed of chaos, a puzzle boss that like was very clearly mm-hmm. going to kill you six times before you beat it. Yeah. How did you feel about that? Um, like, like some of that stuff I feel like it gets in its own way and then other times it's a game that like, okay, there's a baddie around this corner, you know, try it from a different angle, try luring them out, try doing this. Like, I thought that a lot of the artificial difficulty is in like sneak sneak, uh, sneak baddies or traps or whatever else like that. Like that's part of the reason why I said trolling. Like there's a gap in the uh, demon ruins path when you first beat that first Calabra demon heading down to the demon fire sage area. Um, there's a drop on the path that if you're just not looking for it, you'll just fall into the lava just for no reason. Just like a gap in the path. Yeah. Um, and stuff like that's annoying. But for the most part, the difficulty in enemies and where they were placed and the geography and the spatial constraints of combat areas, like I really enjoyed. I thought artificial difficulty was fine for the most part. It's just some of the trolling stuff that I had an issue with. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the trolling, like, again, it gets you the first time, but after that, it's like, right, you're only twice, shame on me. Right, right, that's fair, that's fair. <laughs> but it's built into it, it's built into the whole experience, yeah. and you have to learn, like, it's it's very much a learn, trial, mm-hmm. error, figure it out, move on from that. Yeah. And it is a game that you cannot beat without dying. Yeah, that's um, true. Seath the Scalus will kill you. No matter how perfect you are up to that point, you have to die to him Correct. to continue. Yeah, in that way, the game and enforces the game. its will on you. Yeah, for sure. Yep, enforces its will. That's yeah. a perfect way of putting it. Um, all right, final gripes. Any final thoughts you want to add to this, Jared? No, no final gripes. I guess the decision that you and I have to make is if there was no other Souls games, 
if Demon Souls did not precede this game, if uh, if it was not as popular as it got, is the game on its own able to stand on its two feet and should it be in the, the uh, Hall of Games? Because the sense that I'm getting from our conversation is that a lot of the issues that I brought up technically were fixed. A lot of the PvP issues are fixed. A lot of the um, tropes are fixed. And the game gets richer and hits its peak in both Bloodborne and Dark Souls 3. And I guess the, the question for us is, like, do we respect the game for being the trendsetter and for being rugged and raw and beautiful and do we accept it for its flaws or... The pioneer. The pioneer, right. We kind of did that for Fortnite. Like, I, I still believe Fortnite should be in the Hall of Games, but I almost believe it should be in there, not because it's the best Battle Royale, but because it's the best culture for setting the tone for Battle Royales. And then for this game, like, I kind of believe the same thing. So, I mean, anyway, that's the decision you and I have to make. Jared, my final thought. I would like to quote... Vati Video, who is a YouTuber who loves the series. (laughs) But let me quote what he said about Dark Souls. He said, Dark Souls is what a video game should strive to be because games have a potential to be something that nothing else can. And his point was, so getting off of his quote here, that's the end of his quote, um, good games just... They don't give you control of a character. They provide an experience through their world that you as a character must experience. It's that experience that is the dichotomy. You aren't an observer. You're not just reading a book. You're not just watching a movie. You are experiencing. You are a player. And because of that, this game transcends any sort of experience that you can get from a movie or book or any other medium and it defines what video games ought to be doing and from that i think that dark souls despite its flaws despite its vagueness despite its difficulty despite its repellence should be in the hall of games for the way that it defined what a video game could be and has shaped the industry since then i mean i i cannot disagree with that i i believe that dark souls changed me for the positive personally because it opened my eyes to what gaming could be if i was willing to commit a little bit more than just being a cash you know what i mean like for me as the casual gamer to touch a game like dark souls you do have to have a level of commitment and this game will force it out of you. It's like, if you want to beat me, my friend, you will be frustrated. You will be hurt. You will be in pain. You will be scratching the inside of your cerebral cortex to figure me out. But it will be worth it at the end. And you will figure out my nuances and my quirks. And this is going to feel like abuse at times. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it, it is for sure you know, a worthwhile experience. Don't don't mind me. I mentioned a lot of flaws because I've thought about this game a lot. It's been on my mind for way longer than just the 80 hours that I played it. Um, and, I, you know, it's arrogant of me to assume that I would know how to design a game better, so please don't mind me when I bring up criticisms. But, but at the same time, uh, despite those criticisms, the game does have a raw beauty and set the tone for what From Software and 
and uh, those that design video games should look to and should strive to be. So I absolutely agree with you. I, I do think it should be in the Hall of Games. Okay. Um, well, then, with that said, I, I think Dark Souls is one of the more controversial entries into the Hall of Games. Yeah. It is not for everyone. It will repel. But its vision is strong. Its commitment to its ideas is strong. Um, and because of that, I think it it has shaped the industry. And it has shaped video games for the better. And again, it's been improved on. It's gotten better. Yeah, I cannot it's, wait to play the other games. It's been honed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Dark Souls 2... I think you should skip, Jared. <laughs> Dude, I was so... Look, listen to, listen to this here. I'll just tag this on. I was so inspired by watching Dark Souls 3 videos. This whole concept of, like, the nameless king. Dude. Dude. Yeah. I want to get that tattooed across my back. Like, nameless king? Yeah, dude. I would absolutely... I probably will, to be honest with you. What a concept. Like, a person who is king in action but does not require the praise what a concept anyway totally besides yeah that. can't wait to play that game yeah and that's that's part of what i think is the beauty of dark souls it's like it's it's a mine that's there to be mined yeah yeah and there's a ton of valuable gold and minerals and resources at the bottom of it but you have to put in the work to get it yeah and if you're willing to do that, man, the the rewards that you reap are worth it entirely. Yeah, but you have to actually do that. And there's there's work that goes into it and it's not going to just hand that to you. But if you do that, man, is it is it worth it? And and that's that's the beauty of this game is like the more that you google, the more that you actually enjoy the thing, you know? Yeah. Um the more that you actually learn of it, the more that you actually are able to figure out the bits and pieces of lore the more Vati video YouTube videos that you watch, the more that you actually are like able to appreciate what's happening here. And I think some people look at that as a detriment, but to me, that's like, that's where the beauty of this game lies and just jump into it. Embrace that idea of it. Don't be ignorant. Don't rely on your own knowledge because just like any other educational subject, the more that you know, the more that you're able to study, the better that this thing becomes, the more honed of a tool that it becomes, and you're able to glean more from it because of that. And so that's what I think Dark Souls is. And I I cannot wait to finish my whole playthrough of the series. And man, Jared, I cannot believe that this is the first Dark Souls games that I have ever finished. <laughs> it's crazy. But I cannot wait to finish the rest. Yeah. Um, but with that said, Kachunk Dark Souls Remastered is another game in the Hall of Games. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Of course, this is Bar's Backlog. Be sure to tell a friend about a pod- the podcast. Drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. Those certainly help us out. Check out our past episodes, Undertale, Fire Emblem, Xenoblade Chronicles, Super Mario Odyssey. So many good games that we have talked about in the in-depth conversations. Check those out. And thank you for taking the time to listen. I hope you agree with our decision. And if you don't, tell us why askvgb at gmail.com 
Until then, I am the video game bard, an undead waiting to hollow. Thanks for listening.